This is Free Talk Live. It is the live Labor Day edition of the program, and we're launching into hour number one. It is Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on our website we give away, uh, so do enjoy those on us. That again, freetalklive.com. Lots to talk about here tonight. Uh, we're, we're in the studio. I mean, a lot of talk show hosts, they take Labor Day off. I don't know how many of them do, but I All know a lot of them do. Well, you say all of them, but Gardner was willing to go in and do his live show here in uh, New Hampshire today. Got so it. maybe all the big talk show hosts are willing to take the day. I off. happened to hear uh, a Rush and uh, O'Reilly today, and both of them were having quote unquote best, best of shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, we're here. We'll talk to you about whatever you want, and uh, we'll start things out with uh, John Stossel, someone who um, at one point I I will get on this show. I don't know when it's going to be, because Gardner's managed to have him on his show a couple of times, yeah, so yeah. it's doable. Yeah, it's we, possible. Can, we can work it. I have a couple of friends who are producers over at ABC for, for Stossel. If you could make so. that happen for me, that would be fantastic. You got it. We'll see what we can do, man. Well, because we, uh, Julia has been reading his book recently, his yeah. uh, Myths, Lies, and Downright Stupidity. Yeah. Have you had a chance to sample that? It's fantastic. That? It is excellent. Yeah. And uh, so that'd be an excuse to have him on to talk about his book. Uh, but this is a, an article from John, which is appearing in RealClearPolitics.com, entitled, Why is Profit a Dirty Word? And I guess uh, on a day where America celebrates working, it's appropriate to talk about profit because a lot of companies and people want to profit from the energy that they put into their work. And a lot of people seem to think that there's something wrong with that. Strange. And there's nothing wrong with profiting. You know, I, I've, I always wonder about people and, and this concept as though not-for-profits are somehow hu- good humanitarian efforts, but for-profit businesses are bad. Try to imagine your life without some of the things that have been created for profit. For instance, food that you eat. <laughs> How about the car you drive? Yeah. All of these, the house that you live in. The internet that you might be listening to us How over. come they don't have any not-for-profit house builders? Well, I'll tell you, because... Um, you know, it's just it's not worth doing. They probably couldn't compete. They wouldn't be able to build one cheaper anyway. They probably it would probably cost more. Not for profits are good for some things. For profit are good for Perfect most things. Perfect example is the reconstruction of the uh, de- rav- ravaged areas and devastated areas in New Orleans and down in the Pacific where they had the tsunami. Mm. You know, you look at the areas where they had the government money, the supposed charitable donations, which were actually brought in by the government. And it's very slow reconstruction. There are all sorts of reports that I derived, all these sound files from CNN where they were sitting there saying, oh, it's been so slow, the recovery is so slow, they can't seem to get money in here. Well, if it is profitable, strangely enough, money comes back very rapidly. In certain communities in New Orleans, particularly the Asian communities where they are working for profit and they don't rely on the government dole, they are reconstructing very rapidly because there's a reason and an incentive for people to put their money into it because they'll not only get their money back, they'll get a little more. It's profit. Exactly right. And in fact, without profits, companies couldn't do things. I mean, without profits, you can't go out and do philanthropic things. For instance, uh, we were looking, we were just in Target the other night. Yeah. And over by the bathrooms, they had this 
fairly large little board up on the wall that shows how much money Target has given to local schools. And they show you each and every school, even private and government schools, I believe. They show you the amount of money within the last year or quarter. I'm not sure how long it's been, but they show you how much money Target recently gave to these schools. And whenever Julia and I uh, see an example of uh, some corporation giving money over to a uh, charity, we always sort of... Uh, we always say, that evil corporation, you know, just sort of jabbing fun at these people that seem to hate corporations and right. hate these big companies. Yeah. Now, I have no love for the concept of a corporation, and that is a government sort of created uh, pa- paperwork, a yeah, government they get, file. They get protected that, from liability. Right, that allows their, the owners and that sort of thing to uh, to not have a liability that they probably should have. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the concept of these big companies, they must be evil, and the fact that they're making profits proves that they're evil. But they're doing good things with the money. They're giving people jobs. They're yeah, giving right. money to charity. They're, you know, contributing to build, building houses. I know there's a, the Habitat for Humanity around here. I think they get some charitable contributions from a from a number of uh, companies. I'm certain and if they it do. weren't for those companies making those evil profits, then they wouldn't be able to give the money or the building supplies or whatever to that not-for-profit group. Yeah, hey, i got to tell you, you know, I got a call today, one of those cold calls from somebody trying to raise some money, and initially I was going to just you know push it aside they were from the uh special olympics and they've got something going on here in new hampshire and uh i found out the woman just offhandedly said you know we don't take federal government federal government money or state government money for this Hmm. and i said ah well hold on a second so (laughs) i want to talk to these people more maybe get them on my show and do something locally here in new hampshire to help these folks out because that's the kind of thing i like you definitely have to be careful with telephone soliciting as far as the people they claim they're with exactly Uh, in many cases i don't know i'm not going to label any groups with this one but i think the police athletic leagues mm-hmm. or the sometimes the, the police related ones or the fire department ones sometimes our unions call which is very yeah. strange yeah. i always well, wonder what, how, how come the uh, telephone pullman's union doesn't call me and ask me for money but the policemen and the firemen do they're hiring these uh what, what they do is and if you've recently worked in phone solicitation and you can correct me on this please dial in 800-259-9231 but the last i understood was that they would hire on these telephone solicitor companies and then give them a significant chunk of whatever they take in something like 50% so be careful if some if somebody calls you asking for money you may not actually be giving all of your money to the organization that it is represented that you're giving to I a know that to be true some of the, the phone time. Solicitor. Mm. So that's I'm not saying it's all the time, I'm just saying that's how I know sometimes it works. So you have to be careful with that. But you know, I, I sort of understand that. Um to some extent when it uh, when it comes to fundraising, what good, you know, uh, what what better way for a company to uh fundraise for a not-for-profit than to get a piece of the pot, uh, to get a piece of what they raise? Mm. That way it shows um you know how much they're working and that kind of thing. Now the person giving may not like particularly like that arrangement. But for the not-for-profit, it's, you know, even at 50%, it's 50% they didn't have. True. So, it's true. I, I, you know, there's, there's a couple of sides to that. But I imagine they're paying the phone solicitors on top of that 50%. I can't, believe they'd, I can't believe they'd be working commission only. I believe a lot of companies do work commission only. That's amazing. Wow. Anyway, let's talk yes. about profit. John Stossel says, at a recent press conference, Senator John Kerry was upset as he snarled, Oil companies in America are reporting record profits. Record profits. Well, when did profit become a dirty word? 
I wish the oil executives would face the media. They could say something like, what are you complaining about? What do you think we do with our profits? Buy fancy cars and homes? Well, we do, actually, but nearly all of the money goes to looking for more oil and following environmental rules that you want us to follow. You should want us to make more profit. Anyway, we make less profit per gallon than your beloved government makes in taxes. That's true. Meaning that um, the oil companies make less per gallon then the government gets in taxes. Exactly. And really, it's really. It's illegal for the, for the sellers on the retail level to even show what the difference is. It's, a, uh, it's like a factor of five, I think. Yeah, it's, it's huge. huge. Uh, but Big Oil never shouts back at the reporters. And I guess I can't blame them, given the hostility of the economically ignorant media. This uh, Recently, the media claimed that the gasoline prices had reached a new record. Julie Chen of CBS said, filling up is more expensive now than it's ever been. A record high, says Brian Williams from NBC. Another record high, said Charlie Gibson from ABC. John Scott from Fox says, record high of, get this, cha-ching, $3.18 a gallon. No, John, get this. It's not a record high. It only looks that way if you don't adjust for inflation. And that's just silly. It's like saying that the movie The Rush Hour 2 out-earned Gone with the Wind. The media should quote prices in real dollars, but when they get excited, they don't bother. As the U.S. Energy Information Agency acknowledges, once you adjust for inflation, it turns out that gasoline cost more 25 years ago, back in 1981. When the 1981 prices converted to 2007 prices, last week's average of $3.22, and this was written a couple months ago, was $0.07 below the record, $3.29, which, by the way, was a monthly average. More on the way about profits and why people just don't get it. On this, the live Labor Day edition of Free Talk Live, you can take control of the airwaves, comment on this, or bring up whatever's on your mind. 800-259-9231. What's wrong with profits? Turns out, not a damn thing. In fact, they're a sign that a company is doing the right thing. We'll get more into that and more. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. And you can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features for free. Bulletin board system is there. Over a quarter of a million posts just waiting for you. You can get interactive with us and over 1,600 of our listeners for free at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Your mattress was likely manufactured using all kinds of disturbing chemicals. Does this bother you? Well, it bothers some scientists, especially in the case of young children. Savvy Rest mattresses are made of 100% natural latex rubber, organic wool, and organic cotton. Try their crib mattresses, too. SavvyRest.com for the sleep you've been dreaming of. That's SavvyRest.com. We're talking about evil profits. Profits are terrible. It shouldn't be allowed to have profits in America. At least that's the attitude of uh, a, a number of people in this country, a, a shocking number of people in this yeah. country. That uh, I, I don't know, maybe they learned it in their government schools. I presume that's where this attitude comes from. But profits are a great thing. We want companies to make profit because then it shows that they're doing what people want because if you're out there selling a product or service and people don't want it then they're not going to buy it and you're not going to make any profit you know i think part of it is a conceptual problem too Uh, you you know often people are taught this but also i think it sort of just reinforces an instinctual thing that people feel when they see somebody with a lot of stuff and they might not have as much envy is very easy it's you know one of the, uh, the common human foibles 
and uh, shoot, you've got too much. Well, shoot, how about we turn that around and we compare you to the guy just below you? How about you've got too much? So it's tough. I think uh, I think school reinforces that, and uh, but it's a, a general human foible that we all sort of have to get around. And, and learning economics is one of the key ways to get around that, and Stossel's doing a good job on this. Stossel started out uh, in an article in Real, at uh, realclearpolitics.com by talking about gas prices, and this is sort of the evil corporation that, or the evil companies that have been targeted this year. Du jour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah the, oh, the gas prices are too high, and they're making record profits, and blah, blah, blah. But uh, nobody ever looks at the profits that... Oh, I don't know, PepsiCo or Coca-Cola make. In fact, as I understand it, they make a decent amount more profits than the oil companies do. Well, a lot. Most people haven't designed their lives around um, Pepsi or Coke. They have designed their lives around driving, and driving requires gasoline. I understand what you know the, the trap that people are falling in. I don't like high gas prices either, but that doesn't mean that I think that um, you know oil companies shouldn't be able to make a profit. Well, you know, and there's the a difference between profit margin and profit. Profit margin is the percentage that you make um, per dollar. It is that you, uh, you know, um, you know, the percentage you make uh, versus how much is invested and how much you, um, you know, how much has to be reinvested out mm-hmm. of what um, is spent. That kind of thing. Whereas profit is just the total amount. It's you know they're having a good year, big deal. China's buying a lot of oil. Right. So, you get net or gross. And, and well, I was just going to say, you know, this is the same or, sort of argument that you hear about gouging. Well, what the heck is gouging? Gouging is, is in the eye of the beholder, and mm-hmm. gouging has nothing to do with anything when it's a voluntary transaction. Great example here in New Hampshire when they have the uh, NASCAR races up in uh, Loudoun near Concord. Uh, everybody travels up uh, basically one or two highways from the south to get over to this area. Mm-hmm. Along the route, uh, if you go by a Motel 6 or any of these other motels in the area, you see the prices shooting up. Sure. Now, if those were prices that they saw shooting up, say, in Florida uh, about three years ago when they had all the hurricanes or four years ago when they had the There'd hurricanes. There'd be an investigation. Absolutely. They'd call these people, get them in front of the congressman because they're gouging. Sorry, but... When there is a, dec- a relatively small supply compared to the demand, if you don't allow for those prices to rise, there's no incentive for people to try to come in and bring in more. So for gasoline, right. it's a perfect example. In these areas, or, or water, or food, or anything like that, there's no unless you've got that price mechanism to tell the supplier, hey, you can make more by bringing in more here, they won't do it. You know, right. the fact when, that when demand goes up and the price isn't able to rise as a result, then what happens? Well, here's what happens. Suppose you are talking about a hurricane. The first person who's going to walk into this, and the store has 100 bottles of water, 100 gallons of water in, um, you know, one-gallon bottles. Yeah. The first person who's going to walk in is going to buy all of it. If you're if they're required to sell it at a dollar fifty by law or something like that, well, if it's a hurricane and the demand goes up for bottled water, maybe it's ten dollars would be you know make more sense. Well, then the first person then the person's going to think, ooh, let's see, ten dollars that's a grand for all this water. I'm going to think twice about maybe I'll just get five gallons. That's right. all I all right. I need. Right. So you don't get the shortages that you would otherwise. Right. right. And I liked how you pointed out, Gardner, that having the high profits on the on the supposedly gouged prices encourages other people to step in and say, Wow, Gardner's making fifty dollars off a pack of batteries. I'm gonna get some batteries and I'm gonna make I'm going to price mine at forty dollars over, Absolutely. and then you know that's okay. It's and you know what? Also, um, the the people that complain in those situations, this is gouging. Well, I want the government to come in. They are essentially not really acknowledging property rights. They don't that's really right. seem to understand property rights. Right. Look, this is my hotel. 
I own it. I spent years of my life saving my money so I could purchase my own hotel and run it the way I thought a hotel should be run. It's a capitalist venture right. to help me and by helping myself, helping others by giving them what they want. You don't have any claim on my rooms. Right. If I want to rent those rooms out for gold, I can rent them out for gold. If I want to rent those rooms out for 20 times what the guy down the street is renting them out for, I can rent them out for that. Probably no one's going to rent them from me at that price. Right. But uh, but I should be able to set whatever price I want to as the business owner. And stepping in and saying, no, no, government will tell you what price you should set. How I mean, how much more un-American can you really get? You know what else is interesting about that, Ian? And I, I'll hopefully tie that into what you're uh, talking about with the Stossel piece on Real Clear Politics. Um the, you don't hear congressmen calling in the consumer on here to to for them to testify as to why prices for certain things are too low. Mm. You know the the people who supply these things never have somebody who's an advocate for them to go in there and say, "Okay, congressman, call in the consumer and tell them why they're lowering their demand on these products. Right. We need to jump up demand." You What's can't going get on? the consumer to come in and testify for that, but the competitors will. In the yeah. world of gasoline, we read a story earlier this year about a guy that reduced his prices. For, I think it was a customer club card or something like that. He had uh, slashed his prices five cents below the minimum price point. Mm. See, in certain states, the government sets a price point That's at right. which you can't drop below. It's Otherwise, it's uncompetitive. Right, right. And so they <laughs> can find people to talk about you're that. you're uncompetitive. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go to the phones, actually. Talk uh, to Puke in New Hampshire on the amplifier line. Hello, Puke. Hey, good evening, guys. What's hey, on your mind? Well, this, uh, this reminds me of... Um, was it two weeks ago? We were all, some of us were sitting around a fellow porch pines here in Keene, sitting around the pond. And um, one of the ladies, you talked to her, Ian, um, after you left, she, her and I had a conversation. And I would describe her as like a kind of a hippie communist type college kid. Yes, yes, mm. that would be uh, David's girlfriend, Lauren. Go ahead. And uh, well, it was just fascinating because this is the first time I think I've ever, since I found libertarianism, had a conversation like this with someone. And and she was trying to convince me. Somehow we got on the topic of I would like to open my own business someday. And for some reason, she thinks that, like, all employees are being taken advantage of oh boy. by their employers because, for some reason, their employers make more money than the employees. If you can and hang I, on, people, I'll let you tell the rest of the story. Okay, hang on. We'll be okay. back. 1-800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. Girl, he's talking about very, very nice girl. Uh, she's very new to the whole liberty thing, though, which could explain why she's hanging out with us, but not really totally grasping the concepts. You must corrupt. More on the way. You could take control and bring up anything. We've got Cliff, we've got Justin, and whatever you want to talk about. It's Free Talk Live. George Phillies is the right candidate for president, a serious, well-educated candidate who stands for the basic principles of liberty and the basic principles of this nation. Paid for by Phillies 2008. This is George Phillies, libertarian for president. I approved of this message. This is Free Talk Live. It is the live Labor Day edition of the program. You can take control of the airwaves, as always. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. That's 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on this site for free. So enjoy those on us. The Shrine of Female listeners is included. Dozens of ladies have sent us their validated photo. We prove, that they, or they're proving, rather, that they listen to the show. See what I mean by going to shrine.freetalklive.com. Shrine.freetalklive.com. 
Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for more personal freedom and, and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. So we're talking about this concept of, that so many people in America hold, and that is that profits are evil. Companies are bad because they make profits, and the fact that they're making more profits than someone else means they're worse than that other company. And there's just so much misinformation out there about profits, and we'll get back to John Stossel's thoughts on it in a moment. But we're continuing with the phone calls first. Go back to Puke in New Hampshire. Now, Puke, you were at a recent uh, Monadnock Pork Store. Actually, I think you were at the com meeting recently here in Keene, New Hampshire. And there was a young lady who was attending for the first time with uh, with her boyfriend, who's sort of an old old hat uh, for hanging around with us. Um, and she was there, and she's obviously pretty new to the whole liberty thing. And uh, you, so you had started a conversation, and you just begun telling us about it. Can you recap that and jump into it? Well, the conversation was going that um, I would like to open my own business, and we got on the topic that she believes that all employees are being taken advantage of by their employers simply by the fact that the employers make more money. And I was trying to you know, explain to her that, you know, that that doesn't make any sense. You can't simply be taking advantage of somebody because you own a business and that you make more money than your employers. Right. And another thing is, is you know, an employer, somebody who starts a business, has invested in inventory or um, machinery or capital or something, you know, buildings, pays the rent, that kind of thing. Whereas an employee walks in one day, says, I'd like yeah. to work here. They do. They have no investment other than their own time that they've, uh, you know, put in in the workplace. The employer, they can't leave. The employee can drop out the next day. Yeah, exactly. That the employer has has put in so much more time and effort than the employee to create a business, or they have more responsibility, so they should be making more money because they do more. Maybe not physically or whatever, but they're still, you know, that they're in a higher position for a reason. And they get compensated accordingly. Right. The, she, the employer brings so much more to the equation. And I, I wonder whether she thinks that some employees should be paid, um, you know, it, all employees should be paid exactly the same. Uh, you know, if I go in there with a Ph.D. and I'm, uh, you know, manuf- you know m- making it possible to manufacture this really great item, whatever it is, and she goes in to sweep the floors, should we get paid <laughs> the same? Clear yeah, thinking. I mean, like, should the engineers get paid as much as the janitors? You right. Know? I mean, right. that's crazy. And I was... I was also trying to explain to her that no one's being taken advantage of in America because you have the freedom to leave your job. I've had the unique experience of being in the military where I couldn't leave my job until mm. my contract was up. So, mm. you know, yeah, that's in, the only in you, I was a servant. Right, you yeah. say that's unique and that's pretty much the only situation that you are really an indentured servant in in this country. Everything else, I mean, yeah. At least in every instance like that, you've contracted to do so. Um, True. You know, for instance, uh, you know, many jobs where I've gone to work, they've uh, wanted me to sign a no compete. Sure. And at that point, I am a se- to some extent, I've I've signed away some rights, which is to go um, work across the street for a right. little more money later. But you were probably being compensated for your willingness to sign such a thing, in that you were getting paid a decent wage, as opposed to you were you're not working for a minimum wage job signing a non compete. I guess is what I'm pointing out. Well, it, it wouldn't really matter. I would choose what. Whatever my um, wages are. So, uh, so do you feel like you made it anywhere with this girl as far as progress, uh, or did she just pretty much shut you out? She was. I think I was getting a little bit to her, but um, we had to leave before the conversation really ended, or we got anywhere. So I don't. I think. I think I planted some seeds, perhaps. And that's good. That's. I'm not, that's, I'm not certain, but uh, yeah, that's I really all you can. She ex- wasn't being completely 
closed-minded. That's good, and that's all you can really do is just just plant some seeds, and then yeah. you know maybe water them a little bit later on, and see uh, see if you get anywhere. Uh, but you know. If, the fact that people think that way, really, I mean, she's not the only one who thinks that way. And she, by the way, teaches at the local college. So mm-hmm. it's that's a typical mindset for the academic person. Well, that brings up another amazing thing. Is, is she was trying to explain that, that, like, everything is work and that she doesn't want to do work. All she would want to do is, like, essentially lay around all day or garden. And she was trying to say that if anybody did anything, just look like you know, artwork or, or working at a regular job is all work and it's bad. And that was just kind of weird. I really can't explain what she was so, trying to say. So that maybe it seems like she has this sort of uh, avant-garde approach that uh, anything that is not, anything that's actually uh, work is demeaning if it's not uh, targeted towards something that is more enlightening or something like that? Yeah, well, when I told her that how I thought that um, it would be great if people didn't have to sleep as much as we did so we could be more productive, yeah. She looked shocked, and she was like, are you serious? I was like, yes, I would like to be able to have more time to do something other than lay around for eight hours with, you know, letting my brain recoup. Right. And, and that was some crazy concept to her. So, uh, just, I don't know. Well, Maybe there are those who are producers, and then there are those who would like to be parasites. I'm not saying that's what she wants, but there right. are people out there that would just love to lay around. I mean, I, I, it's not too shabby laying around. I mean, there's a place and time for that, but eventually I want to get up and do something. I'd get bored to tears if that's all I had to do. I'd shoot myself. Yeah, yeah and unfortunately, the number of employees is always going to outnumber the uh, number of employers, and if they have that sort of mindset and haven't been shaken out of that, that us-versus-them mentality rather than and they're trying to get something out of it which will help them, and I'm trying to get something out of it which will help me, and I want to give them the best that I can give, and hopefully they'll do the same, otherwise I'll go someplace else. It's a two-way street. If they don't feel like they've got that power to go someplace else, and they feel like they're being taken advantage of, boy, it's a it's a tough battle to educate people otherwise. You're right about that, Puke. Thanks for the story. No we problem. appreciate it. 800-259-9231. And I think this is a problem, this attitude that we're talking about here, this, well, I'm a worker, so therefore I'm being exploited, I'm being taken advantage of by my boss, and how dare he make so much more money than I? He's just another person, too. That's not fair. This sort of, like you say, this us-versus-them mentality. Julia, for instance, uh, my girlfriend, is a manager at a, at a food uh, service place, yeah. and she sees it in her employees sometimes, that sort of same concept. Like, look, we're all here working because we want to be here. You Nobody put, put a gun to your head right. and forced you to come here. Nobody forced you to apply. Nobody forced you to do anything. You could be laying at home, laying on your bed. You probably have to live at your parents' house if that's what you want to do, but you could do it. Who knows how long your parents would put up with it. Yeah, so, it, it's, and it's interesting, too. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but part of the resentment, I think, comes from a displaced resentment, which is they resent the, the structure they have to enter, the organizational structure they have to enter, the workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than resenting, because they have an innate frustration with the fact that they have to get up and go do something in order to survive, especially as younger people, because their parents have basically you know raised them and things like right. that. Moving from one phase into the next phase into your life is a psychological change that some people can do very rapidly because they, maybe they were brought up working more, they were on a farm, that or, makes sense. Or what? Yeah, and then when they get into this, they see those people who are there as 
well, I resent you too, rather than realizing that, hey, this is just life. And they went through what you did, and they're trying to better their lives. It's, it's a difficult like, growth process. I can definitely see that. I mean, when mommy and daddy been taking care of you for, for all of your childhood, and then right. all of a sudden you're you know, ejected from this cozy little womb of childhood into the real world, yeah. uh, I can definitely see that that'd be tough for a lot of kids, especially if they haven't been eased into it at a young age. Whereas I was you know, working summers when I was as young as 12. 12 or 13 at my mom's thrift store running the cash register, getting customer service experience yeah. right then. And so when I turned 16, I wanted a job immediately. I wanted right. to get out there and work and make money. But and you instead know, of partying on the weekends, I was working on the weekends, whereas most of the other kids, you know, th- there are kids that come in where Julia works 18, 19, 20 years old, never had a job before in their lives. insane. But Ian, you know, the thing that bothers me is something you mentioned earlier, the schools, if if the school is there, whether it's a public or private institution. Let's say the, the government schools right mm-hmm. now. If the government school exists to help train the kids so that they can be p- productive members of so-called society when they get out, uh, how in the world are they reinforcing this idea that they are owed something, that everyone is owed something, that we're all part of a community and the guy with the money is the bad guy? It has something to do with perhaps maybe the history lessons, always painting business as being out there and uh, trying to exploit labor and doing awful things. And we, o- we could only be where we are today if it weren't for the government rules, that sort of thing. More on the way, this is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free. 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. It is the live Labor Day edition, by the way. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online, freetalklive.com, the place to go. The features for free. If you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, then we ask that you shop with us at store.freetalklive.com. All kinds of great Free Talk Live branded merchandise. Right there for your buying convenience, that's store.freetalklive.com. We're talking about the attitude that is commonly found amongst the American population. And the attitude is that, well, because we're working, we deserve as much as the boss makes. Or, well, you shouldn't be making profits because profits are evil. Or, I deserve this job. This is my job. You should be, what? You can't fire me. There are several ad- there are several attitudes in play here, and it all comes from the government school system. Now, Gardner, you said you weren't sure exactly how they go about instilling these attitudes. I don't know how it go. I don't know how it works either. It must be something very subtle done over a period of years in the government school system, because we all know what the system was created for. Right. And it was created to to uh to pump out people with this mentality to pump out just the workers people that are uh this sort of worker class this drone if you will worker drone who are going to go and they're not going to question their circumstances they're not going to think outside the box they're not going to be entrepreneurial they're not taught anything about entrepreneurialism uh, they they're taught about inventors and you that sort what? of thing you know Ian and, uh, while I'm thinking about it you bring up names like uh I think of Horace Mann and John Dewey and some of these people who were really integral to the progressive movement in the late 1800s, early 1900s, in instituting the government system, factory system, schools we have. You know what gets me about that? And I think I think you you put your finger on it. These people are not interested in making sure that the children they're teaching or the systems they're creating to teach these children will give them the opportunity to become good employees who will prosper 
as employees because they're instilling in them this resentment. Mm -hmm. And when you have that resentment, you will not be a good employee. Instead, what they're doing is they are fostering in them this inability, this tendency towards failure, especially early on when they are employees, because these people who are creating the system favor a group mindset. They do not favor the individual. They favor the group. They favor the idea of somehow helping the group, the socialist concept, over actually doing what would be a good thing for these kids to teach them, hey, the businessman is a man as well. He's just like you. He's trying to prosper. He's trying to do better. Look, start this little business. See what you can get with it. You can do more. No, they don't do that. It's resentment. He who has is evil. He who has not is good. And therefore, these kids are set on a path towards failure and destruction during their first formative years. And that's a real disservice. And I think they do it because... They come from a socialist mindset, a group mentality, a gestalt concept, rather than an individual liberty concept. I think you're absolutely right on that. We can continue with this. I want to finish the Stossel article before we wrap the hour out. He says, even if gasoline prices set no record, Congress surely set a record for inanity. What else are we to say about an anti-gouging bill passed last month by the House that would make it a crime to charge unconscionably excessive prices or take a fair unfair advantage of unusual market conditions and increase prices unreasonably during an emergency? Please, says Stossel, lawyers will get rich debating vague words like those. Yeah. That's, there are a lot of vague words involved in that. Yeah. Laws are supposed to be clear, so we'll know in advance what's legal and what's not. But there's nothing clear about those crimes. That's not legislation. It's legislative posturing. Considering the perverse incentives of electoral politics, I'm amazed this bill got only 284 votes. And Congress should know better. After Hurricane Katrina, Congress had the Federal Trade Commission investigate price gouging, and so the FTC studied price spikes going back years. But it found, quote, no instances of illegal manipulation, unquote. If the politicians do enforce anti-gouging rules, it will be akin to capping prices. And we tried that before. It was a disaster. Drivers had to wait in long lines, and some couldn't get any gasoline. Only when price controls were lifted did supplies rush in, and only then did prices go back down. Markets don't work? That's a myth. Why did prices spike in recent weeks? It's just supply and demand. Demand is up 3%, while supply is up just 1%. And gasoline is still a bargain. Think about what it takes to bring it to us. Drills must bend and dig sideways through as many as seven miles of earth. What they find has to be delivered through long pipelines or transported in monstrously expensive ships, then converted into three different formulas of gasoline, moved into trucks that cost more than $100,000 each. By the way, it's not just three different formulas of gasoline. A lot of states have their own boutique formulas that have to be uh, met by each of these, uh, you know, the oil companies. So... The states make it much more make it that much more difficult for oil companies to uh, you know yeah. get it to you cheaply. And then they have to move it around to the trucks, ship it to the gas stations that have to have lots of expensive equipment to make sure we don't blow ourselves up filling the tank. Even after all of that, gasoline is still cheaper per ounce than bottled water that the gas stations sell. There's no dirtier word in English than gouging, but we've had enough unpleasant experience with price controls to know that all they do is create shortages. Who but the politician benefits from that? Hmm. 800-259-9231. So back to, the, uh, back to the point on the system that was created to, well, 
make it so that people are dumbed down. I mean, there's no, there's really no nice way to put this. Yeah. That's what the government schools exist for. So the government schools teach teach people that corporations or businessmen are bad. They're always trying to screw you. That uh, you know you're you're just kind of a surf at your job, and uh, one job's no better than another job. And they, you know they teach people that uh, there's just there's really no real drive for most of these people. For the people that are in the workforce, they're not driven to succeed. Most of them aren't even driven to move up in the, the pyramidal structure that their businesses are set as. Yeah. And, uh, and so this mentality translates into political capital for the politicians because – because people have this mentality right. of – It doesn't matter how dumb these people are, how um, foolishly they live their lives, they still have a vote. Exactly. I'm not proposing that we take their vote away. I'm so, just saying that that's one of the problems with our current system. So the politicians come by and they capitalize on the, the ignorance of the American people and they hold up a, a businessman, in this case the big oil, as the bad guy and they you know rally the people around it saying, yeah, they're evil, profits are bad, regulate them. Right. And so you know, then, of course, it, it also helps them in calling for crazy economic things like minimum wages and things like that right. because the poorest of the poor, the most un educated don't have any idea how bad a minimum wage is how it's economically foolish to have a minimum wage all they know is more money yeah, yeah. i'll vote for you politicians understand how their higher salary doesn't equate to being able to get more with the money because everybody has to raise their prices to pay for the higher salaries well yeah. i'm not i'm not sure that minimum wages are the uh, the worst thing out there mm. i'm not saying they're good yeah. i'm just saying that there are far worse economic things the government does than the minimum but wage. The minimum wage is it's screwy economics. But the minimum wage, it is dangerous economically, and it also, I was bringing that up specifically because it's a great example of how the politicians can use bad policy. They foster that resentment. To get, they, to they get, capitalize on it. Well, yeah, they yeah. can capitalize, they're capitalizing on the resentment by saying, look at what these companies are paying you. Right. They're just paying you the minimum wage. We should raise it. And so then that gets the politicians' votes. That's what the real purpose of the minimum wage is. Yes. It's not to help people, it's to help politicians well, get know, reelected. It's interesting because this is pervasive in so many uh, government policies, as you both bring up. You look at the regulations they have uh, regarding health insurance. The health insurance company, evil. The person who doesn't have health insurance, saintly. The person who doesn't have health insurance, you don't know why, but there are statistics that's bandied about all the time. They might have just left their job. Maybe they opted not to get insurance, and they're paying some other way sure. for something else, their car or school or going on a vacation. Who knows? It's their choice. But, of course... It's the insurance company's fault because, of course, they're charging too much. Or Right, so the government should come in and take over the insurance companies. Because they're big and they're evil and they make a profit. But the government's big, but they're not evil. They're uh, looking they're out for your exactly. best interests. Just Great, trust the government. It's all of us. Great example. <laughs> you know, uh, and and uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it later on, but I think... Uh, uh, something to tie into this is this whole debate about the truckers. This, okay, this Mexican the Mexican trucker truckers. Thing. Hold that for next hour. Let's go to the phones quickly and talk to Justin in Maryland. Justin, who has been waiting patiently. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hello. Hey, what's hey, on Justin. your mind? Yeah, you were talking about that whole um, thing about this public schools and how they're bad. I got this article by uh, John Taylor Gatto, who was a former oh, teacher, yes. and he talks about how the public school system is is based on the old Prussian yeah. school system. It sure is. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's basically a system of social control. So uh, there was social control in our public school system way before there was ever psychotropic drugs, which yeah. is 
hard to yeah, believe. Yeah, you know, John Taylor Gatto is fantastic. His Inside American Education book is huge. It's awesome. It's free on his website. He's Did you know that? He's just great. And he's picking up, I think I'm going to mention to you guys, he's picking up where Sam Blumenfeld is, uh, has uh, done his work. Uh, Sam Blumenfeld lives in Massachusetts. He's just amazing. Look for a book. If you get a chance, it's called Is Public Education Necessary? Blumenfeld, B-L-U-M-E-N-F-E-L-D. I'm homeschooling my kids. Good yeah. choice, Excellent. Justin. If you had more, hang on. We made you wait all hour, so we'll bring you back in hour two if you want to uh, chat a bit more. More on the way, the live Labor Day edition of Free Talk Live. People want to talk price gouging as well, and we'll talk about the Mexican truckers on the way. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever you want. The toll-free number for you is 800-259-9231. As we launch into hour number two of the program, it's Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. That number is 1-800-259-9231, and it is a SACL-CAI toll-free line. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features on the website we give away, so enjoy those on us. That is freetalklive.com. Still to come, I've uh, got to talk about the Mexican truck drivers that so many Americans are very upset about. For what reason? Well, we'll get into that. Uh, but first, we're going to back to the phones and back to Justin in Maryland. Justin, you're Hi. on Free Talk Live. Hi. Hey, what's on your mind hey. tonight? Well, I would talk about my experience in the CPS system a couple years back. It was a short experience, but it was a horrifying Child one. Protective Services? Yes. Okay. Were you a child or were yes, you... Yes, I was a child at the time. Or a young person. No, my father. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Mm. My father, um, he... Uh, a guy broke into our house, and he was nearly uh, beaten with an inch of his life, you know? Wow. You know, he basically uh, uh, went to the hospital protecting us, mm-hmm. you know, us children. He raised three boys on his own, mm-hmm. you know? Anyway, they send us to this, this foster home, right, after he uh, has to be carried out in a stretcher, you know? And... Basically, they send us to this family of sadists where they rub your face in your own crap. Wow. Are you serious? Yes. I am absolutely serious. There are reports of shoving liquor down people's throats. I didn't experience that, but they used to tear you up in the night, rip you up, and throw you into a corner, like toss. Wow. I mean, the CPS system, I look at what they are today with the child drugging scandals, and I look at some of the stories I'm hearing is not so different from what happened to me. I was sent back to my father after he healed up, mm-hmm. after there was a big scandal in my town, and they wanted to sweep it on the rug, and they just gave away – they took away their license so they could sweep it on the rug. They didn't want to press any charges. They took away the uh, the foster permitting, the, whatever yes. the license they have to hold to be able to collect the foster checks? Oh, of course, but it was a way to sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. They did not want any pre- charges pressed. Otherwise, there would be some serious investigations. How many other kids were at the home that you were at? Plenty. There were about maybe seven or eight. Some of them were their kids. Mm-hmm. Those were the ones who got the best treatment. I would imagine. You know? What other and things most... What other things did they do? I mean, they got you out of bed. They threw you into a corner physically. Oh. They uh, shoved feces in your face. Uh, what other things did you experience? Um, mo- uh, most of the things I can remember that I experienced, they... They really wanted to separate me from my brother all the time because we were so close. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they, it was really abusive. How old were you at this time? I was only about three years old. Oh, my goodness. 
you and, know. And you can you actually vividly recall some of this? Have some nightmares. Hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and it's just yet another horrific story from the uh, the government's child protective services system. Mm. I mean, we've heard story after story, and it's just terrible. Didn't your did you not have uh, family members you could have gone to? Was your your dad your the only family member at that time? The, no grandparents um, to speak of. Well, there were family members, but you know some of them just I I don't know. There was a kind of something going on in the family about that. I don't quite remember it. I mean, my mom actually arranged that beating because my mom, my dad got full custody from mm. me, from my mom because my mom was uh, not fit to be a mother at the time. She arranged the beating your dad received. Yeah, she planned it. Did she uh, get any kind of uh, legal trouble? No, but I just you heard stories around, you mm. know. My goodness, was she on drugs or something like that? Like a uh, hooked on she, crack? Yeah, she was a wild child. You don't want to be around her when she was drinking, trust me, when we My were goodness. kids. She gave us a lot of childhood scars. Justin, we glad got... you made it out alive, man. Thank you for the story. We appreciate the call. one eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. 259 Wow, sad story. Yeah. yeah. Ju- Julia and I were recently reading some meth stories, uh, crack stories, people stories from people who have had addictions to those mm. drugs. Yeah. And, you know, it's just amazing. Um, the The things that people who are addicted to certain drugs will do in order to get the money they need to buy their next hit, will just shock you. I mean, if you've never read anybody's story, if you've never actually heard someone's honest, true-to-life story of what it was like for them as a crack addict or as a meth head, you owe it to yourself to really understand, to really... Well, I was going to say, talk about setting the others, uh, yourself against the others and rationalizing ways that you deserve to get what they have. Mm. You know, you've got to continue to survive, so of course you've got to take it. And they said there was it doesn't matter, you know, if it was mom or if it was your best friend, you would have no qualms about stealing from them, taking their stuff, pawning it, going out and using that money to buy your next hit of crack. And I mean, just that you'll you'll destroy relationships over it. I mean, it was just it's just awful to read. And of course, the reason why these drugs are so detrimental not not only are they physically detrimental. And first off, we should point out that tr- crack and meth probably would not exist if it weren't for the war on drugs, because dealers are constantly looking for ways to bring cheaper drugs to market, and they don't care how dangerous they are. Right. Uh, so that, you know, you we could make that argument, but nonetheless, they're here today, and people are addicted to them today. And if they weren't so expensive because of the black market, they would much better be able to be functional addicts as opposed to these addicts that live their lives to steal something so they can go and get their next hit. They, there was one person who said he started doing meth every you know, couple weeks, and then it was every other week, and then it was you know, every weekend, and then it was every day, and then it was twice a day, and then it was, that was all he was doing. It, just, be, it wow. just becomes your life. And before you know it, you're in a trailer in some dirty part of town giving a BJ to some guy so you can get your next hit. Mm. That's how low people will go for this. And uh, the fact is, if we are to end the war on drugs, take the drugs out of the hands of criminals and put them back into the hands of American business people that care about their customers, the prices would drop dramatically. These addicts would not have to go through the depraved, horrific dangerous things that they do i I think the proof um to that is is uh, you know tobacco and alcohol yep 
look, these are both items that at least alcohol to some people will tell you it's addictive. Oh well, with tobacco, they're doing it several times a day. Many many tobacco smokers. Mm, most yeah. most of them are smoking several pa- uh, a couple of packs a day. Yeah. And you know, have the tobacco companies done some things that I disagree with? Absolutely. You know, I think that they've taken uh, cigarettes and they've made them more addictive. And they've added chemicals to them to make them more addictive, and therefore those chemicals are more carcinogenic. And that's not good by any stretch of the imagination. But you don't see anybody hurting anyone else over getting their cigarettes. Nope. 1-800-259-9231. Let's continue with the phone calls and talk to Tom in New Hampshire. Tom, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Yeah, in fact, there were so many drug addicts in the New Hampshire legislature (laughs) that when I was there, they had a designated room directly behind the House chamber if they could not make it through the session without another fix, mm. they could step back there and light up cigarettes oh, and puff nice. away and feed their addiction to the harmful drug of their choice. And they decide what drugs are going to be legal. Surprise, surprise, they decide cigarettes are going to be legal. <laughs> yeah, now, it's sick. About the price gouging, uh, first of all, uh, buying uh Gasoline is not entirely a voluntary. It's becoming, uh, it has uh, been, you know, people are forced and coerced into making these purchases by the government with uh, practices that the government imposes. Like, like what? No, you, you can't build, you can't start a business at home. You have to build it in a commercial yeah. zone, yeah. and then we're going to plow all this snow off the streets onto the sidewalks so you can't walk down the street and get mm-hmm. to work uh, on your own two feet. And uh, zoning restrictions, just try walking to any shopping mall and just see how they've designed the streets totally uh, with harassing pedestrians as you know, like a major component of the design. Uh, it's like no sidewalks. Uh, yep. Building roads without sidewalks, what was going through their minds, and then, oh, but we have public transportation, and it's not there on Sunday, or it <laughs> right. runs during the daytime, but not in the evening. Right, right. So, all you third shifters. Right. Yeah, so, uh, oh, yeah, speak it now that you brought that up. Oh, by the way, have you read my book? No, Tom, I have not read your yeah. book. I don't know anything yeah, about I, your I, book, Tom. Yeah, well, I wrote a book called Billy's Reward, and if you want to know what it says, you, you'd have to read Billy's Reward. It's available for free on the Internet. But That's anyway, great. That's great. So uh, go ahead. Now, uh, speaking of third shifters, you notice the government also has policies favoring day shifters by uh, compressing all the noise making and all, all the, the regulations like uh, harassing right. And government and offices are only open from 9 to 5. So, I mean, you really have to – the government doesn't care about you and what your shift is. And, Tom, thanks for the call. They just want to do their little thing, go home and get their government paychecks. They're not about government – they're not about customer service at all. Don't let them fool you. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever you want. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site for free, including the archives. An entire year's worth of the show, front page of the website. You just go and download them. They're free freetalklive.com. And if you or perhaps someone you know needs a primer on some of the subjects we talk about here on Free Talk Live, you should check out the Liberty Radio Underground. It's an elementary introduction to libertarianism, and each show concisely handles a single topic in under 10 minutes. It's great for someone who's new to Liberty. Go to libertyradiounderground.com today and grab an episode. That's Liberty Radio Underground. 
dot com. So uh, we've been talking, uh, well, I mean, throughout, throughout most of the show at least, about uh, some of the misconceptions that the government school system Im- uh, just sort of imbues into young people in this country. Yeah, yeah. And it's really tragic. It's really tragic because it, it sets aside most of the population. It sort of just puts them out of the equation as far as the marketplace is concerned. Yeah, they're still working. Yeah, they'll go to their job and they'll go home every single day, and that's good and everything. But they never think outside the box. They never think about being an entrepreneur. They never think about starting their own business. Or in the few cases where they might, something interesting happens. And I'd like to share a story with you. Julia told me this one because, again, she works in the food service business, so she comes across a lot of you know regular worker types, and she's a manager there. And so one of the kids that works with her, young, young I say kids, I mean young, young males, uh, he's, I think, 19. Yeah. And he's one of the best workers in the restaurant. He's manager material for sure if he wanted to be, right? Because you've got to want it. You yeah. can't just get promoted to be a manager. You're not going to be able to do your job. You, right. If you don't want that responsibility, then you're not going to be able to do it. He could do it. Very, very, very well capable. He knows the whole store. He's very good with customers, the whole deal. But he doesn't want to be a manager. Why? So, well, because they're again, most government kids, people that go through the government system are conditioned to just sort of do the bare minimum, just do the bare minimums to uh, to survive. And I think that's sort of a human condition anyway. Um, and if they don't have the correct incentives, then they don't really look outside of that. So, you know, he's making enough money now; he's comfortable. Eh, why? Why take on extra responsibilities? Hmm. And so then, apparently, he revealed to Julia recently. That he's going to school for business. He's going to school for management. So he wants to be a manager in a business. Bizarre. And he's going to school for it. You see what I mean by kids staying inside the government box? Because the government box tells you, well, you've got to go through your 13 years of government schooling. and then the if you abstract stuff before you do the application. Right, and then you have to go to college and learn about business. You before couldn't you possibly to... be a manager until you've taken your four years of management college courses. Yeah. Right, and that's what he thinks. This As is though, his thought process. For a second, the people that he's going to be learning from know anything about management right. themselves. As though they've never managed anything. Maybe. I mean, you know, there's there's possibly a professor out there that's managed something. But I, I am of the opinion that you're going to learn fo- – uh, you know what? A college degree is simply a license to learn how to do your job. Mm. You walk in with the bare minimum of what it takes to do um, the, the job, and then you start learning how to do it. Right. Yeah. The, it, you're going to learn far more by being a manager at, at a Panera Bread Company than you are by going to take, um, you know, college courses unless – you know, I, unless there's some kind of high-end managing that he needs to do, but I, I don't, I think don't so. see that. I think that wasn't the impression I got from the from the discussion. And so you have to remember, this is the mindset. Oh, I must go through the steps. I've been told that this is what I'm to do. I've been told that I must go to college if I want to be successful. I want to be a manager, so I'm going to go to college. Now, even in the best-case scenario, best-case being mom and dad are paying for the school. Worst case being, he's taken out loans. But even in the best-case scenario, he's throwing his parents' money down the drain. I mean, what ten thousand dollars a year just to be conservative to say to go to to go to government school? That four sounds years, pretty conservative. Four years of that. I mean, forty thousand dollars down the drain when all he really has to do to get into the world of management is say, yeah, yeah. I'd like to be a manager. And it wouldn't be long if he, you know, kept doing what he was doing right Open now. Open up his own shop. Own his own shop. He could certainly be or owning his own shop after a four get or five more than years. One or, franchise. Right. Yeah, uh, but he could be a manager at the store he's at right now, 
But he doesn't see that possibility. He doesn't see that as an option for his life. All he sees is what he's been told he has to do. You know, that is a, a very odd manifestation of the government school mindset, that insulating cocoon in which everybody thinks they have to exist. And I, I think uh, you look at so many of the people who never went to college and beyond not having spent so much money and having all those loans to pay off when they get done, mm -hmm. they've had years to prepare and actually be in that business world and understand you know, there is a sequence to dealing with customers. There's a way you do it. There's a way to do this business. Right. You can apply certain standards in other businesses. And, and the entrepreneurial spirit is in so many of those people when they're out on their own, and they've got to do it for right. their own survival. There's nothing – I can't imagine – how you could learn a damn thing about managing a retail establishment from sitting in a classroom. Yeah. Don't understand that at all. It's yeah. a totally hands-on experience. It, I could have gone into retail management had I wanted to, but I'd already started my career in radio at that time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just you learn from doing. You don't learn from sitting in a class. And so when this guy, if he keeps following this path, when he gets done with his four years of partying, because come on. That's what college is about these days. Not every when not every done, student does that, but you know, if you want to party and and it's certainly it's something that that kids want to do, that's you know that's the right time, it's always um, an opportunity, right age bracket for it, and uh, they're away from home and all that stuff. When he gets done with his four years of uh, college and gets out and he's got his business degree, then he's going to come back. Let's just say he goes back to the same store he's working at now. Julia's going to be the general manager by that time because mm. she's already on that track. Right. And four years from now, no problem at all. They have people working for this company that have only worked there for three years that are general managers. Right. So no problem. And then he's going to have to start, you know, at the bottom rung because yeah. how maybe, many people? Maybe they'll give him a uh, a shift supervisor position um, because he's got the degree. No, probably because he'd been working there in the past. Um, but you know, think about yourself as a uh, business owner. Let's just imagine that you are hiring somebody for your shift supervisor position at a restaurant that you own. Do you want to hire the person who's never been to college but has three years of restaurant experience? Or do you want to hire the fresh-faced young lad out of college? He's got his degree, but that's well, about it. When you say that, it, I, I don't know. But I can tell you that if I'm hiring for my general manager and I'm looking at somebody who's uh, been a, uh, has gotten really um, good, um, I, I don't know what what do you call those? Uh, the, your monthly, your your biannual check whatever. reviews. Yeah, your yeah. biannual re re review. If they've gotten good reviews and they're an assistant manager at some other store, I would definitely want that person who has management experience. Right. But the fact, the simple fact that they worked at a Panera Bread for three years does not make me think necessarily they're a good employee. Um, I would rather have somebody who made four years of college at that point because at the very least they managed to finish college um, whereas you know being having three years experience and you haven't gotten anywhere in the food service industry mm, i'm not so sure i want you mm. 800-259-9231 all i'm saying but, is to me as a business manager college isn't impressive doesn't impress me at all somebody who's actually had their feet on the ground has been dealing with customers understands what retail is all about that's valuable to me. I, I would agree that those those things are definitely and valuable. On, the, on my question, the three-year employee would be a good employee, not some And, you know, what schlup. a letdown. What a letdown for somebody to come out of college and then have to try to get into there starting real low. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mean, that's, that's very frustrating. That would be a shock to the system. Yeah. More on the way. You can take control of the airwaves and bring up anything, whether you want to talk about the government education system and how it's ruining the kids of America or the Mexican truck drivers. A lot of America very upset about this. We'll find out why, if there even is a reason. Coming up, this is Free Talk Live. You take control.
Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind. The live Labor Day edition, it's Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. 800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features on our site for free, including the wiki, over 1,400 pages created by listeners just like you. It's like the listener editable version of our website. Head over to wiki.freetalklive.com to experience it and to edit it, because you can do that. Wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. Now you can save time and money on common legal matters created by top attorneys. LegalZoom.com helps you create reliable legal documents like setting up a corporation or a limited liability company. LegalZoom.com. Use code FTL to save 10%. That's LegalZoom.com. Now, we're going to get to the Mexican trucker thing, but Garter, you, uh, during the break, you found something, an interesting post on the Free Talk Live BBS yeah. at bbs.freetalklive.com, and you thought it was worth sharing. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm actually responding to it right now. Uh, at, well, during the break, I was responding to it, so uh, I, I can't see exactly who posted it yet, uh, but uh, essentially... Uh, the question is, uh, it regards schools and learning, and people can see it at the BBS at freetalklive.com. Um, the, the, the poster says, I was going to put this in a polling bib and so on and so forth. He says, it recently struck me that during my time in school, my instinct for self-learning was completely crushed out of me. I don't know if anyone else has had this experience, but I find myself now trawling Wikipedia endlessly for just about anything and heading to my nearest inner city library when I want to get something more in-depth. Even with concerns with libertarianism, it's only since I left the state school system that I have started reading in detail the work of Mises, Friedman, and some other economists. Anyway, long point, long point short, if you've been to state school, do you think it Hurt your will to learn. Well, um, actually, I have a response on the, from the Internet here. I've, I've got uh, some lyrics from a Paul Simon song. It says here, um, when I look back at all the crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all. So you apparently know, Paul Simon had the same exact comment. I don't think, experience. I don't think I ever came to the ex- as explicit that a conclusion as the, uh, the writer did there, but I definitely share his feelings because... I found that after I got out of school, and I mean all school, uh, after I got out of college and government high school, is when I really started to learn. Oh, that's when I really wanted to learn. Yeah, it's when I really wanted to learn as well. And I think what it has to do with is the authoritarian way that government schools are run. You must read this book and report on it back to the class within the next two weeks. But, but wait, what about me and what I want? Yeah. I don't want to read that book. I'm not interested in reading that book. That book doesn't fascinate me. It doesn't catch my fancy. So what did I do? I didn't read the book. I fudged the book report, you know, sped through the book, kind of like picked out a couple pages and fudged my report from that, like most kids do. Well, now on the, with the Internet, you don't even have to read books anymore. you can look you up can, reports. You can just get a report off the Internet. Yeah, true, So, true. So it made me just not – I was not interested at all in the stuff they tried to force-feed me. And and that that means everything, even stuff that might have actually been valuable, like in Spanish class. 
All I did in Spanish 2 was just F off. I just screwed around in the class, and mm-hmm. I uh, you know, harassed the teacher, and, and I just was bored to tears. I didn't want to be there. I resented the fact that I had to take Spanish. I did not want to take Spanish. Now, later on, uh, just a matter of a couple years later, boy, did I wish I had actually been interested in learning Spanish. But they didn't, they didn't do anything to interest me in it. Exactly. It was not... An experience I wanted to be a part of when it was government uh, done. Especially with a guy, you know, the the greatest incentive is how to be able to talk to a really, really, really hot Spanish-speaking girl. (laughs) So if you you know the goal, you can work towards it. I I did four years as an Espanol in high school and college, Mm -hmm. two and two, as Chuck Woolery would have said. And uh, and when I got done, I couldn't even conjugate by lar to a girl in a club to ask her to dance. Wow. And I just sat there and said. If I had known I was going to meet this girl in this gorgeous orange dress, <laughs> I would have known. I would have studied. I would have done this. I would have worked harder every day. You know, give me an incentive. By a, by, by a low, by a la, by a loss. Yeah, but then there are different by tenses. Well, that's just con- – I'm only conjugating the present tense. Okay. <laughs> by a lease, which you never use, and then by a lawn. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't learn. So somehow they, I don't know, I mean, again, they do crush it out of you. Yeah, they crush they that desire to learn. Yeah. Learning becomes a chore when you're in government oh, school. Oh, well, actually, you know what? I was, I was responding to this, and, uh, and I was saying, you know, for me, what it did was it became a force against which I was pushing back. Mm. So I actually fought harder, and it, it, it incited me to work harder because I resented that so much that they I'll give you an example. They've got a sixth grade class here in uh, Milford, New Hampshire, the summer reading list, list of which for all the kids, every book was an environmental screed. Oh, and so I'm sitting there talking to this woman who has this kid who's got all this list of books. And it's just, you just awful. Kidding. Oh, yeah, just awful. And so I, I gave her all these websites. I was like, here, try, check this out. Check this out. Go to Junk Science. Go here. Go there. And I said, and I said to you, I said, because uh, this kid was philosophically more inclined like we are. Mm-hmm. He, he questioned these teachers who, of course, always say question authority, but don't question that right. authority. So he, I said, look, you're, you're in it now. You're in ninth grade. Or no, you're in sixth grade. They're starting with you. I was like, this is not going to stop all the way through college. You're going to have to fight this. And I was like, you've got to be up to the challenge, dude. I was like, you know, you can really strengthen yourself if, you're, if you push back. But beware, when you do, you've got to have your stuff to back you up. And you always got to be ready that you could be marked down. So when you say push back, you mean uh, come back against their teachings yeah. and perhaps bring up the opposing view and yeah. refuse yeah. to accept the socialist yeah. doctrine? Yeah, that's what got me so intense about it. I know? didn't know enough in uh, in government high school about all that. I had just stumbled out. I think I you know, smoked weed for the first time when I was 16, and that led me to libertarianism. And, oh, interesting. And uh, so I really didn't start getting into liberty until I was 18, and by that time I was done with, with government high school. My favorite but, part is when he tells about having been in the, the uh, young Rush Limbaugh club. That was in oh. I was in middle school, but yes, um, <laughs> well, that, that's always that's that's not a bad star. You know, Rush has some okay qualities in certain areas. Well, you know, back then he was uh, railing against the liberals and yeah. instead of uh, pumping up the big government conservatives. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, but that that aside, one example I can think of pushing back, and I've always pushed back against authority. I've always, if, ever since I can remember, I've been anti-authoritarian. Uh, I don't know why, just how I've been. Even as early as, you know, kindergarten, I can remember having these tendencies. And I recall in high school when I found out about the class called internship, where you could go and get a high school credit for going and working somewhere. 
you know me, I like to work, so I figured, great, I can get a high school credit for working. Sounds like a good cool. idea. Yeah. Because uh, I sure as hell didn't want to spend any time in government high school. And so I went to this internship lady, and this was at the gifted school that I went to, went to the <laughs> internship lady and said, yeah, you know what I want to do? I'd like to intern at a radio station. Well, first of all, I had a uh, like a 2.9 at the, at the gifted school mm-hmm. um, and apparently had to have a 3.0 to get into the class. So I wasn't even really allowed to be in the class, and she informed me of that. But then she also tried to talk me out of it. She also tried to tell me that, well, one time we had this guy, and he went out and worked for the radio station, and all they had him do was cleaning the vans and, you know, talking about the job of, well, an intern at a radio station and mm-hmm. making it sound like, well, this is just terrible, and you shouldn't be, you know, you, 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 I don't know what she said, but uh, the basic message was, you deserve better, you shouldn't be uh, working at a radio station, the job doesn't, you don't, you know, you don't actually learn about radio, you clean vans and you do menial, menial labor. Hey, I'm not going to say for a second that I I think radio is a good job that people should pursue. But, but it was something I was interested that in. Is the, um, that is the way that you go about uh, you know, being something in radio. You've got to start out at the bottom. Yeah. You've got to pay right. your dues. And uh, so if I were any less anti-authoritarian than I, than I was, I might have gone, gone along with her and said, yeah, that sounds pretty awful. I, I don't want to do that. Uh, but I did want to do that. I wanted to do whatever it took to... Uh, to to get my foot in the door in the radio business. And so, of course, I completely ignored what the woman had to say and and uh, went off on my own without having any sort of high school credit to back me up and just decided to get an internship. Yeah. I didn't have the I didn't get any credit for it. I just went out and got an internship. And you know what? Let's see. It was no more than 4 months. 4 months of doing the basic sort of interny things of driving the station van to the remotes and setting up the banners, which was all really cool and exciting because, you know, you're working for the rock station. Right, you're 16 years yeah. old. Yeah. That yeah. is exciting. Come yeah. on. You feel pretty pretty, pretty cool hanging out next to the disc jockeys and everything. And uh, less than four months later, I was asked if I wanted an on-air internship. Are you kidding me? Of course. So that's how it all started. And if I'd listened to that bureaucrat in that externship class or internship class... Who knows where I'd be today? More on the way. You can take control of the airwaves. Don't listen to the bureaucrats. They're just trying to ruin your life. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's the live Labor Day edition of the program, and you can bring up anything. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231, and it's Ian here with you. And guard. And Mark. That is, by the way, the SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. Get signed up for the updates. Whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show, get on the list, updates.freetalklive.com, and you'll know first. I sent out an update this afternoon, in fact, announcing our brand-new auction. See, from time to time, we like to find out what our banners are worth on our website. Because we could set an arbitrary price, but I figure it's better to just put it up to auction and see who wins and see what price they pay. And it fluctuates, actually. Sometimes they go as high as 150 bucks, sometimes as cheap as 50 So it all depends on who's interested in advertising at that particular moment. But right now, you can get the second banner on our site, second from the top, on virtually every page of uh, freetalklive.com. For, well, whatever the bid is. I think uh, it started at $1. I don't know what we're at right now. And it's a seven-day auction. So what you want to do is go to auction.freetalklive.com to place your bid. And you'll get it for an entire month on our site. You can advertise your band or your business or uh, your favorite charity. whatever, Virtually anything you want. Anyway, auction.freetalklive.com. It's up to $1.04 now. Ooh. 
get in it now. All right, so uh, let's go and talk about the Mexican truck thing, because a lot of people are very concerned about this, and it's probably because, as usual, they've been misinformed. From the Arizona Republic, the plan to let Mexican trucks operate throughout the United States has prompted a war of words and legal papers between the Bush administration and Jim Hoffa, the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Now, this is the son of Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, Hoffa and his allies at the Sierra Club and Public Citizen, that's Ralph Nader's group, by the way, Mm. have sued in federal court to stop the government from issuing permits to Mexican freight haulers. Their lawyers argued in the court that Mexican trucks pose a danger on the roads and threaten increased human and drug smuggling. According to the prepared statement by Hoffa, dangerous trucks should not be driving all the way from Mexico to Maine and Minnesota. What is it about safety and national security that George Bush doesn't understand? The government argued that stopping the trucks would unsettle a key trading partner in Mexico and delay U.S. trucks from operating south of the border. Officials insist that a lengthy pre-inspection of Mexican firms has resulted in strict safety standards and compliance with congressional mandates. According to the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration guy, he says, we chose to do this incrementally and cautiously. These carriers are going to be safe. He has 254 inspectors along the border. Only 16 of the 188 firms inspected have failed. Just over 100 withdrew, signaling that the inspections are rigorous, said Hill. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on Friday in San Francisco denied an emergency injunction to halt the program, and the union will continue with its lawsuit. Now, this is expected to start like within the next few days, I think. Uh, the the idea that Mexican trucks will be coming here and bringing their freight. And, uh, Garner, you said that people are pretty upset about this, right? Oh, yeah. You know, it's crazy. They're, they're, this has been, it's, you know, it's all, it all has to do with the immigration issue, open borders issue with a subtext. How about a little serving on the side with some MSG added to it uh, just to get you a little bit more interested uh, in the idea of, the one nation Canamera Mexico thing. Mm-hmm. And so all these nativists are out there, all these populists are all ticked off saying, Oh, how dare they open up the tr- open up the truck and lanes to these trucks and they just let them come in here. Can you imagine these Mexicans just coming in? Meanwhile, the Canadians can do this. Canadian trucks, they don't have to get out of their trucks and move the stuff over to American unionized extortionist truckers because that's to what then happens right now. to us. Exactly. On the southern border of the United States, everybody, you pay more for your products that come in from Mexico because unions have helped arrange a policy in the United States government, which shouldn't even have such a policy, such that when a truck comes in from another country, say Mexico or some Central American country, and it comes up here, they have to unload the material, put it in a Teamster truck, and then truck it to your store. I thought American professional drivers were proud of their independence. I'm shocked that there even is such a thing. They obviously don't think they can compete, do they? That would be what the Teamsters are. Yeah, Yeah, and I said, see, my mom's all up in arms about this. She's like, she she was watching Fox News, and she got upset about it, or watching Glenn Beck's show on CNN or something, and she's like, can you believe this? I was like, wait, 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 hold on, Mom. I was like, first of all, why is the federal government even involved with this? This is nothing. This is this is commerce. What are you talking about? And as it second of all, can you explain to me if a Canadian tourist can drive across the border, or a Mexican tourist can drive across the border and drive around, and they don't have to get out of their car and have a U.S. taxi driver drive them everywhere? <laughs> then why can't a trucker who has a product 
bringing over the borders. They're still going to supposedly check the border and open it up and look what's inside. Of course, right. we don't, I don't trust the federal government on that front anyway. Nor do I. Nor do I trust the feds to uh, to correctly inspect the trucks either. But nonetheless, I mean, these trucks are operating down in Mexico. Are they all of a sudden dangerous and uh, ineffective when they cross the border? I mean, yeah. the idea that these trucks are somehow dangerous is absurd. Uh, you know what I want to do is uh, I'm going to go on the air tomorrow. Uh, and before I go on the air, I want to call somebody at the Cato Institute or someplace else and see if anyone has quantified how much more we would be spending if we didn't allow the Mexican truckers to just continue moving their shipments, if we had to switch over and get the more expensive American truckers. So, wait, I thought that's what they're doing today. I thought they are currently having to switch their loads. Right, right. I should say how much much we'll save. save. How much we'll save, yes. Yeah, I, I would love to know that, and I don't understand why anybody's angry about this. What 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 ticks them off? Yeah, this so is much? great news well, as far as I'm concerned. It seems yeah. unfair that uh, the Canadian drivers can bring their trucks across the border and and you know drive stuff to their location. The Mexican seems racist can't. to me. Well, I can see one problem. What if Mexico's uh, vehicle standards aren't as high as Americans' vehicle standards, and the trucks do propose some kind of hazard on the road? I don't know. So you think Mack truck is like cutting costs and selling cheap, inferior trucks to Mexican firms? I think is that, that what you're saying? I think that Mack, truck, um, Mack trucks get old. And they can be poorly maintained. Mm-hmm. I think we you could likely have a 1960s truck driving something or things falling off the back. I don't know what mm-hmm. what it is that I imagine, but the um, you know I think that these companies could be held liable for any damages that their trucks do. You would mm-hmm. think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, that's an excellent point, though, Mark. Is you look at the the relative ability of an American firm to be able to get maybe top of the line products versus a Mexican firm. Maybe they're just starting off. You know, they they don't have the same sort of productivity level or something like that. So they might not be able to invest as much into right. a better trucking or something. But like even that. so, that is our factor. big companies could could do that. And um, if we're concerned about this, the drivers could be bond, you know the trucks could be bonded. Yeah. And that would be easy and solve the problem. And then of course the union. The the problem is the union doesn't it's, like it. It's all union. And again, here we have the unions. The unions are the ones. The AFL-CIO and the Teamsters, they're the ones who don't want foreigners to be able to make products that come over the U.S. border. They want to block them. They want to put tariffs on them. They're the ones who want to make sure that we don't have immigrants coming in because the immigrants compete against them. They're the ones who, for some godforsaken reason, all of a sudden conservatives are siding with these guys mm. because of a nativist fear. Politics makes strange bedfellows, It's huh? crazy. It's totally nuts. i got to tell you guys, uh, I debated this guy, uh, Stephen uh, Camerata, from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies on like Tuesday or Wednesday or something like okay. that. And it was a pretty heated discussion, and and he tried to make these claims that about uh, immigration. And he said, well, you know, it's been shown by studies that immigrants harm native workers. And I said, oh, really? Because there's only basically one study from a guy in Harvard that shows any sort of detriment to low-wage American workers. And I said, well, what about the macro study that Julian Simon did for the Cato Institute before he passed away, where he took like five or six other studies? Because I was going to get the data myself during periods of high immigration in the United States. Mm-hmm. Did they have you know, a decrease in wages or employment for, for uh, Native American workers? And instead of having to get all the statistics myself, I found Julian Simon had already done it for the okay. Cato Institute. So I took, all, I took this information. I wrote this big piece. I think it was like Foundation for Economic Education or something like that. 
And um and so I said, well, what about this other study? He says, oh well, you know, uh, that was that was then. It's different now. Essentially, <laughs> was what he was saying. And he says, and Simon wasn't looking for the right data. You know, this sort of thing. So I said, now wait a minute. So I tried to bring him in for an example. Uh, he 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 was saying, well, Gardner. Um, I, I said, well, wouldn't you want to be able to get employees who work for less so that you can use your money to get more? And this guy didn't understand. He said, well, Gardner, then that means that, yeah, there is a decrease for the for the lower wage people because these guys would be working for less. And I was like, you don't understand. The money that is saved in these types of jobs can then be applied to hire people in other jobs. Sure. So and that's why wages don't go down. It's, and it's not a, t- a static thing. Outside of the wage picture, you're also, again, looking at the macro level. Right. Even if wages do go down a little bit. You have to remember that those savings are going to be passed on to the consumer. And Precisely. so you're putting, technically, you're putting more money in everybody's pocket by having low-wage workers come here and take those jobs. Exactly. Excellent Just point. watch what happens when they finally, you know, if they manage to kick out enough of these immigrants from some of these jobs that the, the feds are keeping an eye on, these factory jobs and that sort of thing. Watch what happens to the prices of those products. They're going to go up if all they can do is hire Americans to fill those roles. Uh, you know, who's going to go out and pick fruit in the field for pennies per bushel. Who's going to do that? And we need these drivers. Hour three's on the way. You take control. This is Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It is the live Labor Day edition of the program, and you can, as always, take control of the airwaves and bring up whatever you want via the toll-free number at 1-800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And guard. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. And, of course, you can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features on the site, we give them away. So enjoy those on us, freetalklive.com. Starting things out this hour... With a little bit of audio, yes. Uh, usual when Gardner Goldsmith is with us, he is one of the few people that bothers to do any sort of work uh, <laughs> preparing for this show. <laughs> so he's brought in a sound clip for us. All right. And I saw this in the news, and I just figured, well, what's new? Another politician supports a smoking ban. So it, I just you know, sort of left it aside. You know, Ian, I got to tell you, that happens to me so much, and especially when you work in radio, isn't it? It's a weird phenomenon because you become so jaded to their stupidity and selfishness <laughs> and ignorance that you say, ah, oh, yeah, just another example. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute. I really should bring that into the show because some people might not have heard about that, and that's a great example. Yeah. You always and have you, to remember there's new people listening. Yeah, and, exactly. And it's that. weird. So with that, uh, we're going to play just a, a brief clip here from what sounds like a Republican debate, I presume. Uh, yeah, what it was was Lance Armstrong uh, had this, uh, and this ought to uh, make anybody think twice about giving Lance Armstrong another penny of their money. Uh, Lance Armstrong invited a bunch of presidential candidates uh, to Is he I think the it was bicycle Iowa. guy. Yeah, yeah, and he's got his uh, Live Strong thing. So his Live Strong Foundation invited Hillary Clinton and all these other folks to be interviewed on MSNBC with Chris. I think I took too much caffeine and I'm going to explode, Matthews. And of course, that was my middle name. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed Mark here with the caffeine-free Coca-Cola. Oh, good tonight. for you, man. Way to go. So, uh, 
So anyway, so uh, it's it's very clear that what Lance Armstrong wants is he wants the federal government to get more involved with cancer treatment and have more of your money taken from where you would spend it. But that's a side. This happens here. to cancer patient, patients. They're fighting cancer as though it's. Um, it's it you know it is a terrible thing, but as though people's lives and bodies aren't their own. Mm-hmm. Look, if I do something that gives me cancer, it's really my choice, Lance. I do know that the possibility exists if I smoke that I might get lung cancer, but they're my lungs, and if I've paid for them, they're my cigarettes. Well, and, no. and you know, even if it's gen- oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that we already know that the Republicans. We already know that they don't think you own your own body. I mean, we've we've known for the longest time the Republicans have been. You think the, the Democrats think they? No, the Democrats don't think that either. But they managed to pawn themselves off as caring a little bit more than the Republicans <laughs> do on that issue. Um, but we know they're all for controlling drugs and all that, and yeah. not letting you make your own decisions about what you put in your body. But a lot of people, a lot of conservative people that would call themselves small government conservatives, have always thought that the Republicans were really out there for you and your business, right? They've yeah. always thought that. Yeah, supposedly. And so clips like this must be pretty tough it's, for them to stomach. It's unbelievable. Yeah, this is a conversation between Mike Huckabee and Chris Matthews with uh, Lance Armstrong sitting between them, if you can just imagine, up on this uh, podium. And uh, they were all talking as Chris Matthews asked Mike Huckabee whether or not he would favor, whether or not he would sign a federal ban on smoking. Here it is. If uh, you were president of the United States, if you are president in 2009, and Congress brings you a bill to outlaw smoking nationwide in public places, would you sign it? I certainly would. In fact, I would, just like I did as governor of Arkansas, I think there should be no smoking in any indoor area where people have to work. And it's not a, here's the issue. Oh, they have to work. Is that right? There, uh, there's somebody with a whip at the yeah. front door. There you and go. Ensuring they stay there. And it shows work you there. where the Republicans have gone. Chaps and a bull whip. Yeah, that's what I yeah. use to keep my employees inside when I'm smoking. <laughs> it's the exploitation theory. You know, it's total. It, that is just Marxism right a, there. A chair and a revolver, just like the lion tamers have. Right. How is it that? I mean, that's got to be tough for somebody that for I don't know. Do are the Republicans in America the the so-called small government conservatives? Do they still believe that the Republicans are going to somehow make the government smaller anytime soon? I, I mean, I, after these, you cannot delude yourself. And Huckabee is considered to be one of the big conservatives. Right. He's talking about a socialistic, fascistic, national government ban. He knows on what's smoking. best, Gardner. He knows. It's incredible. I don't support a restaurant bar smoking. Because then you're basically saying we're dealing with consumers. Broaden it. Here's the issue. It's a workplace safety issue. The same reason that we regulate that you can't pour radon gas into a workplace (laughs) is the same reason that we shouldn't allow people to pour the toxic, noxious fumes of a cigarette into a place where people have to work. Listen to the way he he talks. They're pouring cigarette smoke into the places where you work. It's just it's like somebody's got a cauldron full of smoke up on the top of the right. building. He's just pouring it in. Right. I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? As if uh, I mentioned on the radio, I was talking as if the uh, the places where these people would be employed, suddenly the doors open up with giant teeth and suck them in. Right. You know, I've got you now. It's smoky in here. Ah, ah, ah. Uh, yeah, we're not going to allow you to choose to work in the smoke-free place down the street. You'll be staying here. Here forever. Uh, and you, you, you noted uh, he did it again there. He's where they have to work. Mm-hmm. Now, what if I want to smoke in my office where I employ some people 
and I want to do it so badly that I'm willing to pay my employees $5 an hour more exactly than the place down the street. Right. That was one of the things I tried to bring up with one of the one of the callers. Uh, there, There's something else in that quote that he's going to get to. Wait till he mentions 1964. But um, the, it was very interesting because I said, look, what if you wanted to be able to work in a place where there was really loud music? And That's strangely, all hell. these people said, yeah, what I said to this guy, what if before we had these really, um, really nice little things you could put in your ears, the little earplug deals, uh, you had to wear these big things over your head. I mean, if, if you wanted to, you could wear a mask over your, over your nose and mouth yeah, in a could. smoking place. So I said, so what's the difference between a guy saying he wants to have a national ban on smoking because it could harm the lungs of the employees who, quote, unquote, have to work there, and banning loud music over a certain number of decibels in a club well, I guess in 1975. The only, the only difference is that uh, no one has proposed a federal loud music ban. Yeah. But I bet you if you ask this guy that same question, well, then, uh, would you also support a uh, federal ban on anything over 75 decibels? He'd After probably all, say we yes. all pay, supposedly, we all pay for your mistakes. He would probably say yes to that. Let's continue the clip here. Passed. I got that passed. Yes, I did. So, so all workplaces, offices. every workplace in the state of Arkansas. Wow. Wow. Seems like that'd be harder to get through. It was hard. And I'll tell you something, Chris. It takes the personal involvement of the chief executive to make that happen. If I hadn't personally gotten on the phone and pushed oh, for oh, legislators, oh. went throughout the state, we had a wonderful partnership with the organizations oh. like Cancer Society. Pause it right there. Right When he says we had a wonderful partnership, anybody within the sound of my voice, never, ever give another penny to any of these organizations like the American Cancer Society or the American Heart Association, don't ever, ever give them your money ever again. What they do is they use your money to then go into state legislatures like our state legislature here in the state of New Hampshire. They pay them fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year to put on little orange tags to go lobby to coerce business owners so that they have to run their business the way that the American Heart Association or the American Cancer Society or the American Lung, Lung Association mm-hmm. want them run. Do not give them your money. You are funding coercion. Well said. I wish old wow. Huckabee had given me a call, and I was, uh, you know, had some kind of decision-making power that, you know, he would in fact oh, give me yeah. a call because he wouldn't. Yeah. I wish he'd have given me a call, and I'd, I'd just say, no, they're not your lungs. You can worry about your own. You get your own. God gave <laughs> yeah. you your own lungs, Mr. Huckabee. Leave mine alone. Goodbye. Way to go. That's long association, uh, the Heart Fund. They all work diligently with us. The nonprofits were critically important to help get that message out and to, to bring to bear the message. But this isn't 1964. No longer can someone argue that it may or may not be harmful. We know without a doubt that secondhand smoke is deadly. Cigarettes are the he only just said product that we smoke have in this country deadly. that when used according to the package we don't know directions that. Oh, the EPA will said kill so. you. The EPA used false figures. Yeah, they did. That, that study's been debunked. Yeah, He and, doesn't know that. And you know what's great? You see how he mentioned 1964? He didn't mention 1964 because of some monumental study that was released in 1964 that suddenly told everybody, oh, my God, smoking suddenly, everybody, you know it's cancerous. Everybody, they called them death sticks in the 1800s, for God's sake. Mm. He, 1964 was the year they passed the 1964 Civil Rights Act when they turned private property into public property with the public accommodations portion of the 1964 Act, where the government can tell people who they can admit, and under what circumstances. You know, the only reason why governments get away with this is because people just, they lay down. 
the business owners lay down and they follow whatever rules government puts in front of them to follow. And I wish we could change people's attitudes on that. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line for you, that's 800-259-9231. And it's Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. You can join us online, freetalklive.com, the place to go. Live streams there, broadband version of the show and a dial-up version as well, waiting for you at freetalklive.com. And do you have questions about the liquidity crisis, the China option, and the Fed chairman's unenviable choice between hyperinflation or a deflationary implosion followed by hyperinflation, visit d2z.org, that's d2z.org, or contact Troy at d2z.org. 800-259-9231 allows you to take control of the airwave. Let's go to the amp line and talk to George, actually TSA George in D.C. Hello there. Hey, guys. Hey, George. What's on your mind? Dude, yeah, I want to do a smoke-a-thon, you know, on Earth Day or something like that after hearing that crap from Huckabee. It is sick. You're referring to uh, one of the presidential candidates saying that if he were presented with a total nationwide ban on smoking in public places, meaning every single business establishment the public could possibly go into, he said he would he would sign it without hesitation because he apparently did the same thing in the state of Arkansas. I mean, it's just got to be a shock to the system for anybody that thinks the Republicans give a flip about business freedom. Or even the Tenth Amendment, which they always kept saying, it's got to be about states' rights. You know, mm-hmm. let the states decide on this crap. Like that's a bunch of BS, and it makes me want to take up smoking almost. <laughs> right there. Well, don't do that. <laughs> anyway, in about just under a month, I'm going to Australia. And guard, do you want me to get you some Vegemite, mate? Oh man, no, please, no, <laughs> no, no, no Vegemite, no Marmite. Uh, just please. Actually, what you can do. Is if you can find uh find me a T-shirt of Radio Birdman or something like that, the Scientist, the New Christ, <laughs> I am I am down on that big time, man. I'll send you a check in the mail. George, did oh, you yeah. did you make it to uh, Burning Man this year? I know you went last year. Uh, in, uh, no, because I'm saving up for this big Aussie trip. That's you know going to be expensive as hell, and I'm yeah. trying to do this new cheap way of going it by renting this campers, like wicked campers. I think Ian, you could go for this. You're going to drive a camper to Australia? How are you going to no, pull no, that no, one no. off? When I, when I get there, the, um, um, there's the camper vans that um, you can rent for like the price of a full-size rental car like yeah. here. Oh, cool. It's like only $50 a day, and you got a full camper van. Sweet. Stay little you don't, you don't like need that. hotels, man. Surprising. Exactly. Save awesome. a lot of money. So awesome. they're okay? I mean, they're cool with you not having an Australian driver's license or all that? No, nah, as, long, as long as the license is in English, you know, they'll take right. it. Hey, much right there, so is so. it just you, or are you going with some friends, or what's the, what's it, the plan? It, it's just me. None of my friends can afford it. And in my case, it's um, using my miles and going business class, in which I pay for a story with my mouth, and I get to connect in Korea on the way over there because of that. Nice, wow. man. So hey. you're going all by yourself to Australia. Do you know anybody yeah. there? Um, just some people I met on MySpace, per se, that I might be able to meet there on, on this um, website called Couchsurfing.com. It's a w- way where... Um, the that? locals, you get, you get to spend a night at their place, you know, as opposed to a hotel. <laughs> that you know, sounds a little scary. Yeah, I know. I'm not sure I'm going to really go for that. I'll probably just use a hostel for whenever I'm not. I don't know which me. would be worse, a hostel or uh, crashing on somebody's couch. I mean, yeah, uh, well, this is Australia, and that brought us lava in Eastern Europe. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're always bed and breakfasts, man. Bed, B&Bs are awesome. They oh, come on. They're expensive. Everywhere. Stay in the hostel. 
The, yeah, the hostel is cheaper. If you can't stay in the camper, stay in the hostel. Yeah, that's right. He's got the camper. Back, he doesn't right? need. Yeah, when are you leaving? Um, this November, and I'm um, going to be gone basically three weeks, but I'm only spending yeah. two weeks there. But it's, between getting there and back, it's going to take me almost three because i got a 12-hour layover well, both going, yeah. going and coming back. If I know you, George, you're going to have some stories for us, so we look I'll, forward to hearing from you. I'll be you, wearing man. my Free Talk Live t-shirt on awesome. the flight Dude. over there, too. Thanks Don't for the call, take man. the Vegemite. Appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, I hear that stuff's awful. It is just the worst thing I've ever tasted. What in is my it mouth. again? It's it uh, just, it's like yeast or something. Yeah, right? it's a, it's a brown viscous glutinous yeast extract that they skim off the inside of beer barrels when their beer is fermenting, eh? mm. and it's just so. I don't like it's just, it. Literally, it's Did, just so bad. The I, last I time we talked so about it on the show, somebody suggested that no one actually really eats yeah, the that stuff. that was me. Yeah, yeah that was I, you? I think it's a big national joke. I think in Australia, like, like in the U.S., we could actually set it up that, like, we could say, oh, yeah, you know, everybody in America, it's a tradition. We eat dog do. You know, we put it <laughs> right. on crackers or something. <laughs> and I think that's essentially what they did. They found this foul stuff that, you know, it's a residue left over from their beer. They skim it off, and they put it on. And stuff and they're like, let's get them. <laughs> you know, it's a big national in joke. That's all. 1 800 259 9231. Hey, here's some news from southofboston.com. Easton police recently followed suit with a number of area communities in trying to get cigar wrappers known as blunts off the shelves of local stores. Ah. Uh, according to Detective Michael Fox, quote, we went to all the stores and requested they take the blunts off the shelves. With guns on their hips. Uh, they only serve one purpose, and that's to roll marijuana, said Fox, who said the Easton town bylaw regarding rolling papers issues a fine for noncompliance. There's a ban on rolling papers? Is that what he's saying? He likened the momentum-gathering movement to the path of banning smoking in public places. Quote, it started in a few communities, and then the whole state went with it. But if we turned a blind eye to it, what would happen? People might smoke smoke pot. pot. They might buy a cigar and hollow it out. And, you and know, roll that that's, pot. That's in what that. they were doing for the longest time before these blunts papers came out. Anyway, is they they right. take all the tobacco out of cigars and then they yeah. stuff it full of weed and smoke on it. And you know what's funny about that is that guy's so-called logic and saying, well, it started in a small areas and then there eventually the whole state went with it. Anybody know why the entire state of Massachusetts went with the ban? Is because they had a bunch of lobbying from certain vested interests from certain towns where the bans had been passed, and they said, well, we gotta, we can't have smoking in some areas and no smoking in others because we'll lose business to the ones mm-hmm. that allow smoking. So right. we have to ban it everywhere and make sure everybody does what we had to do. That's um, fair. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, eight months after the Brockton Police Department made a decision to ban blunts because of their usage as drug paraphernalia. I love this. Apparently, the police department can actually ban things now in Massachusetts. <laughs> That's amazing. What amazes me is it's taken them this long to figure it out. I mean, how long have they, they're using blunts for? How long have they been using cigar roll? Uh, you know, cigar papers for rolling marijuana cigarettes? A long time. A long, long time. Uh, see, he says, uh, Chief William Conlon says it's sending the right message. Quote: I think it's worthwhile, even if it doesn't cut down on usage, because it sends a message out to the youth that it's not something we condone. What you keep? What do you think the youth doesn't understand that, Chief? You think the youth is a little confused about what the police department does and doesn't condone? You've wow. got to be kidding me. You think the youth gives gives a darn? No, yeah, they what don't. What the police department condones? 
Mm-hmm. Quote, we feel they're within the parameters of drug paraphernalia, so they're banned. And it would be a test case if someone got charged with carrying and then using them. One might argue they're a legitimate product for rolling your own cigars, but who rolls their own cigars? Maybe in Florida, but certainly not Brockton, Massachusetts. Now, why would they, um, yes, roll them in Florida and no, ro- uh, not roll them in uh, I haven't the slightest clue. I'd that like to know that, too. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, no, it I, doesn't. I don't know why anyone would roll their own cigars. Does he think well, you that know, t- they've got all those tracks of tobacco plantations in Florida? No, I don't think there are very there many tobacco there plantations there. <laughs> Disney World in the swamp. No. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe where, he's confused. Where tobacco grows best. In maybe swamp. he yeah. thinks Florida is populated entirely by Cubans or something like that. Maybe he's just a little confused. Uh, oh, I get it. Cuban connection. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. More on the blunt ban on the way. Apparently, cops can just issue their own bans now. There's no need for legislation or the city council or any of that. Those old steps. Yeah, let's just go right to the police and make their own laws. This is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is the live Labor Day edition of Free Talk Live. We're here doing a show for you. You can bring up whatever you want. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. That's 800-259-9231. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features on the site are for free, including the bulletin board system. We've got over a quarter of a million posts and a lot to talk about. Serious issues and fun stuff. You will find it all at bbs.freetalklive.com. It's for free. That's bbs.freetalklive.com and SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful, they record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy, so your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359 That's 800-544-6359 for SACL CAI. Going to the phones here in moments, but finishing up the story from southofboston.com about the new blunt ban. That's right, the police have really decided to crack down, even though the police chief himself actually says he actually says that uh, it doesn't even if it doesn't cut down on usage, it's worthwhile because it sends a message that it's not something we condone. He, he pretty much is admitting, yeah, we know this isn't really going to do anything, but it's symbolic, so it's important that we do it. Uh, waste the uh, police officer's time chasing after people who are buying uh, cigar wrapping papers. Well, they, uh, it wouldn't be the ones that are buying it. It would be the stores that wouldn't be allowed to sell them. The buying. way I understand the uh, the rules, and I don't live in Massachusetts, thank goodness, uh, the way I understand it is, the, the way the, the article is written, it sounds like the police can make their own law here. The police have decided to ban blunts. Not the legislature, not the city council, the police has decided to ban it, and I think the way they have this leeway is there's been some sort of law that's been passed that uh, basically is a prohibition-style law for uh, marijuana smoking accessories. So if something is deemed by the police to be a marijuana paraphernalia, you know, perhaps uh, perhaps rolling papers or, in this case, blunt papers, are deemed to be paraphernalia, then all of a sudden they become illegal. And, Ian, of course, we all know that we, we have to let the cops on the ground be the ones who can make their own decisions. We've got to do that. <laughs> you know, I love that that sort of argument where as if 
there shouldn't be any, if we're going to be under our government paradigm, which I think is bogus, but there shouldn't be any sort of oversight of the cops, say judges, mm. because... Or, or possibly the uh, the the uh, the public at large, citizen review board, citizen review board. Exactly. The idea that a, a cop could make a decision. Well, this is paraphernalia, and this is not paraphernalia. And uh, you know, we uh, we got nothing to do right now. And that guy is really ticking me off. So uh, that's paraphernalia. And then, of course, the yeah, guy. That- convenience store owner didn't give me a free donut this morning let's go get him right and and what happens the guy who is arrested is in is in a whole world of troubles got to hire an attorney out mm-hmm. of out of days of work losing money insurance rates could go up reputation sullied so you know leaving it up to the cops discretion there's another thing that really kind of gets my goat wherever my goat is and this it's this concept of he's law. been gotten yes yeah. by the chupacabra <laughs> yeah the chupacabra got him in texas uh the uh the law and order you know, order is not necessarily c- created by law. No. And it's certainly not what this law in south of Boston's are. Order is created by people acting in their own best interests. Precisely. And that's a natural thing. You don't need anything more than just a the basic concept of don't hurt somebody else. Right. But how often do we hear that phrase, law and order? Well, I'm a real law and order man. Or how oh. about this one? This is my favorite. This is a nation of laws, Gardner. That's right. Oh, yeah, some of them are crap, too. Exactly. <laughs> Most uh, of them are. Here, again, uh, here's the, uh, Tell police, me some of them. the yeah. police chief. Well, this is one in uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. Police Chief Conlon, who uh, actually should remove the, uh, the, uh, the first N from his, uh, from his last name. And then you've got a better one. Anyway, Police Chief Conlon, or Conlon rather, also questions the need for a blueberry or raspberry flavored wrapper for an adult rolling his or her own cigars. A marketing strategy clearly designed to draw the younger set, he says. A typical scenario for teens and other drug users is to buy the 99-cent wrappers at local stores, empty the contents, and wait, wrappers come with contents in them? That doesn't sound right. Sounds like that's something you do with a cigar. Right, out the vigor- well, well, obviously, we can't sell cigars because the youth might get them and make marijuana cigarettes with them. And then Ludicrous. roll the marijuana up in the cigar wrapper. Uh, and by the way, I question this police officer's questions here. I, as an adult, um, you know, I'm not a cigar smoker necessarily, but I think that the idea of flavored things is pretty neat. I don't think you necessarily have to be a kid uh, to appreciate that. What's wrong with that? I mean, flavored rolling papers, flavored cigar papers, it's, there's a huge and, selection in that sort of area. And certainly if this man is making that sort of determination, therefore you can assume that he has been sampling cigars, which is a really bad example. Mm. Yeah, he shouldn't you know, be setting that example. He shouldn't example. be doing that at all. Uh, no. Typical, uh, see, Stoughton's, uh, Stoughton's ton, town manager is currently looking at the issue of drug paraphernalia bans and may follow suit with a similar ban to those of Brockton and uh, several other Massachusetts communities. Following their steps to ban the cocaine energy drink and spikes alcoholic beverages, the West Bridgewater selectmen also recently voted to ban blunts and urge cooperation from other local towns. Quote, not surprisingly, the Board of Selectmen and Police Department believe that selling drug paraphernalia serves only to condone drug abuse, akin to selling syringes without the drugs to go with it. Because, you know, you wouldn't want those heroin addicts to actually be able to buy clean syringes. That would be awful. You know, you guys, can you imagine sitting on one of those boards? I mean, what kind of an existence would that be? Oh, man, every night or every week, once a week, twice a week, three times a week, after you finish your day job, or, you know, perhaps it is your day job, 
I can't even imagine. Are you ju- kidding? The payoffs, the payoffs from the lobbyists, you know, the the junkets that you get to go oh. on where they hire the hookers oh, and the and, and and God knows what else that these people get when they're uh, I, in their know, positions of power. Because believe me, they don't follow the rules they set out for us. I just I, have you ever you know you tune into your local access TV thing over in Amherst, New Hampshire. We got the local access, and they're sitting there, and they're sitting there. I'm like. You guys, uh, do you do this to grow old? Do you do this to, to just turn yourselves into flaky pastry, human pastry, and just slough, slough away? It just, what is it? It's crazy. There's something in it for them, obviously, uh, yeah. whatever that might be. Yeah. 800-259-9231 to the phone lines to Ryan in Texas on the amplifier line. Hello, Ryan. Oh, sorry, guys. You caught me right in the act of lighting a cigarette. Um, <laughs> You're not setting a good example, Ryan. Shame on you. All right, y'all were talking about banning uh, because of secondhand smoke and all that, uh, all that jazz. You know, you can go on principle, but sometimes it's better to argue. You know, the pragmatic response, which is uh, Dave Hit, who has a great blog about secondhand smoke on uh, DaveHit.com, mm-hmm. has the greatest solution. When people talk to you about them, how many people die from secondhand smoke? Look at them straight in the eye and say, name three. Ooh. A couple of years ago, he uh, did a little experiment, contacted uh, the American Heart Association, American Lug Association, TobaccoFree.org, several mm-hmm. anti-smoking lawyers. One anti-smoking lawyer gave him three names. One couldn't be verified. One had been ruled against by a jury. And one had her case thrown out because it was massive fraud. <laughs> Show me a case of someone actually dying from secondhand smoke. Or getting cancer from secondhand smoke. Well, one and the same, basically. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well done. And I know that uh, Dave Hitt actually listens to our show from time to time, and uh, he does his own little podcast. Uh, at least he used to. I, I presume he still does. Isn't it called uh, Smartenized with Dave Hitt or something like that? I'm not sure I actually found his site because he linked it on the BBS at one point. Yes, yes. Uh, he's a very sharp guy and uh, somebody definitely worth listening to. Uh, so, Ryan, any other thoughts? That's about it. Thanks for the call, dude. Appreciate it. Great question. Name three. Name one. Excellent. 800-259-9231. All those people that are talking about the secondhand smoke deaths, all those people are doing is reciting what they've been told. And they've been told that secondhand smoke is bad. They've been told that the EPA determined that. And as Mark has pointed out several times on this show, um, Penn and Teller did a great expose on this on their show BS, Mm. but the, the whole EPA study was... It was fudged. They, I mean, it was just, it was crap. How in the world, the, think about it, a, a, is, you know, if you get lung cancer from, say, 50 years of inhaling an unfiltered cigarette, or a filtered cigarette for that matter, how in the world can being in the presence of diluted cigarette smoke, say in a, in a, in a enclosed Buick LeSabre, mm-hmm. how in the world is that, you know, the few occasions that that happens to you, going to give you lung cancer? Come on, people. It takes 50 years of smoking two packs a day to get lung cancer. It was a government study. It's been discredited, but people continue to parrot it as though it is truth. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. 
This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You can bring up anything. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. But if you're going to call it, you should do it now because it's only the remaining moments here. Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features are for free. And if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, then we ask that you become a Free Talk Live amplifier. Go to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. The idea is simple. You like the show, you send in three bucks a month. We take that money in and we turn it around into promoting this program, to getting on more radio stations across the country and thereby spreading the message of freedom and liberty as far and as wide as possible. So, get all the details, learn about the perks you'll get access to, like the AMP-only call-in line, AMP-only chat room and forum and more. All the details at amp.freetalklive.com. As we go to the phones and to the fun, Carl in Montreal. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Carl. Hey, there's some things that come up the past few days. I don't know if you, you may not agree, but I was talking to like three of my friends, and uh, we were going to send a message to Washington to protest, and they say they come up here and maybe claim refugee status and protest the loss of freedoms under President Bush and say they want his impeachment. I don't think Canada lets uh, the refugee thing happen anymore. It's not, uh, it's not like it used to be. Oh, they allow it. But that's why we're going to try. I got three of my friends willing to come up here and join me to protest the Bush administration. Really? Because I understood. Maybe it's different for military members. Because as I understood it, the members of the military that are that would like to just say screw you to the military and run up to Canada, they can't do that anymore like they used to because Cana- uh, Canadian government has changed its rules somewhat, and uh, they they're not as welcoming to people seeking refuge. Well, that's what I did. I claimed refugee, and they accepted my claim. Hmm. And what does that get you exactly? Uh, well, they get you work, and they'll get you a work permit. They'll get you a health insurance card. They'll help you get a place to live until you get work, and you know, have your own place and everything. So you Great. took basically you took Canadian government assistance. Is uh, you're kind of like an immigrant mooching off the system, then basically, aren't well, you? Well, I'm getting own money and everything, but I'm just. But they put me in the immigration center temporarily till, you know, I get situated, and I don't know. I mean. And what were you a refuge from, exactly? Well, the American judicial system under George Bush and uh, the prosecutor, which picked up my case, uh, Paul McNulty, who was appointed deputy attorney general under Alberto Gonzalez. And what would your your friends be refuges from? Well, they don't like the Bush administration. They don't have any... uh, problems with the legal system, but they don't... So like you're saying that all you have to do is go up to Canada, as long as you can get out of the United States, is yep. go to Canada, tell them you're a refugee, and they'll, uh, your Canadian taxpayers then get to foot the bill to yes. put you up in some sort of center and, pay and feed you and that sort of yes, thing? Uh, yes, as long as you don't have a criminal record, they will not detain you. Uh, if you do have a criminal record, then you might have a problem. Oh, you're you going to have a problem, all right. You try yeah. to cross that border with a uh, a felony and some misdemeanors, they, are, they will lock your butt up in one of the nicest jails you'll ever see <laughs> and then kick you out the very next day. I know. It happened my, to me. I've got a couple of my buddies doing it just to send a message to Washington You know that we want Bush and his administration gone. Yeah, I don't think Washington's going to care. Yeah, I don't, I don't but think you have enough Americans be. leaving and coming here. You know, do it well, then what you're going to have, if enough Americans do that, is you're going to have the Canadians right quick shutting down their little uh, refugee system, because that's going to cost the taxpayers I'll quite you, a bit. Your friends have a much better um, chance of uh, protesting all this by joining the Free State Project than uh, going to Canada, because if they go to Canada, there'll be three people that left the United States and went to Canada. Yeah, but whereas, we don't want people that are going to mooch from the system joining the Free State Project. No, no, no. There's no guarantees. They were trying to mooch. They just wanted to protest the Bush administration. Isn't I that, see. Isn't that uh, the case, Carl? Yes. Well, can't you move there and claim refugee status without mooching from their system? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
course, but that's what they give you. You know, you don't have to, you know, accept it, but, you know. I see. Yeah, I think if a bunch of people did what you're suggesting, the Canadian system would just change. And that would, would also no send a message protesting the immigration policy of Bush, too. If somebody would just, a whole bunch of people, like a, maybe thousands of people, would just come right across the border. And I don't think so. I, there's already been, there was already a news story earlier this year that Canadian uh, people moving to Canada, it's up. I mean, the amount of people moving from the United States to Canada, I don't know how many of them are claiming refugee status, but the amount of people leaving this country is, is at a, an, like a record high for the last 10 years. Uh, so thank you for the call, Carl. I appreciate the suggestion at 800-259-9231. I just don't think that, A, the U.S. government will give a flip that, uh, that you're leaving, um, or B, that they might even, uh, that they would even know. Yeah, they'll just they let in three Mexicans. 1-800-259-9231. Let's talk to Mark in Massachusetts. Mark, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hey, guys. Hey. hey. What's up? Hey, well, first off, I just want to start off by saying I love your guys' show, and there's a definite donation coming from me here. EBV, baby. EBV. What's on your mind? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, like, I just want to, like, I was wondering, can I, like, say, like, a poem or something, like a political poem I have? Sure. How long is like, it? Uh, it's, like, not not even more than 30 seconds. Okay. All right, go. Well, I, I have two. Like, do you, do you think I can fit in both of them? You better go quick, though, so go for All it. All right. You ready? Yeah. Walking down the street, people staring at my chest. Got my shirt off, grabbing snitches by the breast. Beat it on my face. Beat All right, that's far face. enough. Thanks for the call. Sounded <laughs> a little too dirty for the air. 1-800-259-9231. But congratulations uh, to him for getting through our new phone screening policy. It's been over, what, like a week since one of them made it through? Yeah, they're doing a good job. Yeah, our board ops are doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. Good job for him getting, um, to him for getting through, and good job to the board, uh, board ops for keeping all of all of them out. Gardner. Given, his, given his talent. Okay, go ahead. Uh, we've got a short amount of time, and I want to make sure we get to your story right on. on this John Edwards thing. Yeah, I got this. I posted this over at the Liberty Conspiracy. and That's uh, libertyconspiracy.com, your website, blog, uh, podcast, all that stuff. Right on. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so I put it over there, and uh, it's the first thing up at the website. John Edwards' anti-constitution health plan would force Americans to make doctor visits. And here's the story. A new report from the AP cites John Edwards as explaining that his health plan, which of course breaches the U.S. Constitution on so many levels it could make you ill, will force Americans to go to the doctor. Amy Lorenzen of the Associated Press writes this, uh, she wrote this up yesterday, out of Tipton, Iowa, comes the story. Democratic presidential hopeful John Edwards said on Sunday that his universal health care proposal would require that Americans go to the doctor for preventative care. And here's what mm-hmm. he says. It requires that everybody be covered. It requires that everybody get preventative care, he told a crowd sitting in lawn chairs in front of the Cedar County Courthouse. Did anybody throw anything at him? Oh, man. I, this which, re- the required crap just annoys me. incredible. Which is where you're going to end up if you decide you aren't interested in going to the doctor. Since you're required to go, if you don't go, eventually they're going to do something to he, you about yeah, that. He literally says... If you're going to be in the system, you can't choose not to go to the doctor for 20 years. You have to go in and be checked and make sure that you are okay. (laughs) He noted, for example, that women would be required to have regular mammograms in an effort to find and treat the first trace of problem. Edwards and his wife, Elizabeth, announced earlier this year that her breast cancer had returned and spread. Uh, Edwards said his mandatory health care plan would cover preventative, chronic, and long-term health care. The plan would include mental health care as well as dental and vision care for all Americans. And when you get into that mental health care thing, just on a specific, away from the anti-constitution, fascistic, socialistic nonsense, 
that mental health care stuff is so ambiguous, mm. and it's such a cesspool of PC, political correct, psychobabble, that you could have virtually any problem, and it'll have to be covered by the federal government. This is incredible. He says, the, the whole idea is a continuum of care, basically from birth to death. Which is what they want. Those government people, whether they be Democrats or Republicans, they want the government to take care of you. Because when they control your death. health, they control your life. Look, how, how, what step are we away from, well, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Goldsmith, you have, a, you have some kind of allergy to uh, molds and stuff. You're going to have to move to Arizona. Yeah. You, Ooh, yeah. You've got to move. You've got to get out of here. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they, they'll you get on the government bus and they'll take you across uh, the country. You know what? To you know what I was thinking oh, quarantine sorry. zone. Monitor yeah. you if you uh, are a smoker. Make yeah. sure that you're not smoking. I was just thinking. You know, we were talking about the, the smoking thing and then translating it into the 1970s uh, uh, um, uh, volume band on speakers and so on. What if they were to decide for us how loud our our headphones had to be? What if they told manufacturers you cannot allow sound beyond a certain decibel level mm. because it will harm the hearing of all the people and of course everybody gets harmed and this sort of thing dictating can you imagine the gall of this guy to tell you and me and anybody else you can't not go to the doctor we're gonna make you we're gonna make you go that means that there's some sort of threat involved. I mean, if you don't go to the doctor, they'll either force you somehow to go to one doctor who you may not necessarily want to visit, because then again, it's going to be the government-mandated doctor. It's not like you'd be able to choose which doctor you go to. Uh, and so you'll go to the government-mandated doctor, or maybe they'll just throw you in a jail cell and give you the jail doctor at that point. It's uh, just, I and, and if you think there's a, there's a uh, health care system out there like the VA that wants, that wants to kill you, I'll tell you what, the jail doctor's... There you go. In fact, want to kill you. Hey, you know what? I look at at, at what Edwards says here. That's a threat to me. Of course it is. That is a threat of aggression against me. That is a threat. I haven't broken any laws. He wants to help you. It's just incredible. I have. I. I can't. If I ever, ever get a chance to get that guy on my show, I'm going to work my damnedest to get that guy on the show. I don't care if he never, ever, or anybody else associated him wants to come on my program again. I want to eat that guy. Up. I want to destroy that man. Good luck getting him. <laughs> Let oh, me know if it happens. Man. We're going to work at it. It, it has been fun. Ian here with you. And Guard. And Mark. We'll join you tomorrow night online in the meantime. Freetalklive.com. DVD. Books. Music. Instruments. Periodicals. Computers. Software. Electronics. Photo. Cell phone. Office product. Home and garden. Bed and bath. Furniture. Kitchen. Pet supplies. Automotive. Hardware. Apparel. Shoes. Jewelry. Grocery. Healthcare. Sports and outdoors. Toys. Games. Used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.